covered creature climbing on the mountainside. Welcome everyone to January 15th, 1989 in the Legacy Series. It is the summit in Houston, Texas. It is the Royal Rumble. I am sitting here in my office for the second week in a row because I have moved to a small town where it takes apparently over 30 days to potentially get internet. It is the morning when we record. I am prepping six classes, trying to get them done. 16 weeks of semester is coming. We will be on ground. It's a gigantic question mark. I have no idea what the next 16 weeks hold. The one thing that is, is exciting, I will be for the first time in my life teaching a creative writing class. And as I was reading stories, trying to figure out what to assign, I was also moving. I had boxes full of books that I had not looked at maybe in years. And I all of a sudden remembered a story I wrote 10 years ago in undergrad. And I find myself reading that. It's a fictional story, and I start to think, what if the fictional character in the fictional story were moving 10 years later and found the stuff that he wrote as essays in his life? And what if his life was still a struggle in ways it should not be? What if the things he thought he defeated back then were coming up in another way? I started to think about what happens when you're 30, what happens when you're 40, and you start to look back at yourself at 20. Yourself at 15, yourself at 25, what do you see? Does that person look similar? Probably so. Do they look almost completely different? Probably so. Did it seem like there was so much opportunity? Probably so. Did it feel like at least you were not yet saddled with responsibilities, with responsibilities from the world that certainly define you? So I was thinking about that. All week, I was thinking about doing some writing, all of that on my mind when I come to the Royal Rumble 1989 and I start to wonder if the Royal Rumble of 2020 could and it had those abilities, those human assets uh, and it could look back on itself, what would it see? Would the Royal Rumble of 88 or 89 look similar? Would it look different? What is the Royal Rumble before it's saddled down with the responsibility, the privilege, the struggle of shooting people straight to the main event at WrestleMania? And already in my memory has been debunked. Because I would say 1988 was an infant Royal Rumble with no responsibilities in the world. Just sit there and cry and laugh and we will all cry and laugh with you because you're a baby and we've never seen these things before. And I always thought what made the Royal Rumble grow up is that WrestleMania main event. And in part, that is true. That is certainly what saddles it with a singular kind of narrative. But my God. Does it grow between 88 and 89? I had no idea that I was getting into a Royal Rumble because it's on pay-per-view that is going to put the heavyweight champion Randy Savage in it, that is going to put Andre the Giant in it, that is going to put Hulk Hogan in it, and none of them will be in the final four, my friend. That is the Royal Rumble without WrestleMania. That is the summit. That is Houston, Texas. That is where we are right now. Ladies and gentlemen, the hype is back. 
grab your shovel because the unearthing continues. I am the mystic and I am joined by my friend and co-host, by God, my learned colleague, Mr. Ms. Fan, the brain. Greetings, Ms. Fan fans. Welcome indeed to the first pay-per-view full-sized edition of the Royal Rumble. And if you thought you knew the Rumble from 1988, you'll find that you did not know the Rumble at all. We have a very big match, main eventing this show with many big stars in it. It is not for a title shot at WrestleMania yet, and yet I will argue that it is not. It is not made less because of that. I've already heard at least one comment to the contrary out from uh, these listeners, so we will talk about that. But that is my opinion. I'll say up front, this is a great rumble that I'm looking forward to talking about. There's a lot of good stuff on this show. Mystic, I am ready. Let's let's get into it. This is good. This is exciting. Yeah, you got my brain blown now because I don't know. My answer is without without a doubt, as far as a singular episode, this Royal Rumble loses nothing uh, for not being attached to WrestleMania. I don't know if they could do that for 30 years. And it'd be the same thing. So I don't know if those are two different conversations or, or are those the same conversation? Hmm. I I mean, they're related, certainly. I think you have them uh, separately or together. I'm sure that we will uh, interweave them as we go along. Okay. And it, it's, it's mind-blowing, though, because God knows I'm glad I, I was not an adult and a betting adult at this time because I could have lost spot maybe four, five, six, seven, eight times over uh, on who's going to win this Royal Rumble. <laughs> yes, I, I can't imagine that anyone was predicting um, Big John said, but you know, in some ways, I think that's a strength of the Rumble um, in this time because without having to put that person in WrestleMania, you can be a little more unpredictable about who gets the win now. I don't know if that translates to us, because probably if you're going to go back and watch this, you probably already know who wins. And yet, for me at least, whenever I watch the Rumble, I'm always looking at everyone who's still in there, and I'm saying, like, oh, I would love this guy to win, I would love this guy to win, I don't want this guy to win, you know. To me at least, I feel that every time I watch, even if I've watched it many times before. I agree 100%. That's a magnificent thing about uh, being storytelling creatures and the tensions you know, like you said, you can watch this ten times and you're still like, oh my god, Mr. Perfect's popping right now. Maybe maybe he's going to get it. No, you know, he's probably not going to get it if he didn't get it the other nine times. But, you know, uh, that felt sense, that emotional storytelling can do uh, tricks on the listener or the viewer. Absolutely so. You know, I'm looking, we're getting towards the end here and I'm like, man, if it's just going to be some random babyface mid-carter that wins it, we got Hercules right in here at the end, we got Rick Martel in here at the end, you know, there's great choices all over the place, you know, if, if it could be a heel, we had Ted DiBiase here at the end, there's a lot of fun stuff that it could be, and you know, we'll get into it when we get there, but um, John Studd obviously is not a thrilling choice, but it's not a choice that I hate necessarily either. No. Like, I would have gone a different way, but this is not like Beefcake won it or like Duggan won it the first year, just somebody like that I can't stand. It's more of just like a question mark than something that I actively dislike. Yeah, it's also, again, because of the fact that it's going to be the person goes to WrestleMania 
because of that reality, it, it's refreshing almost. Because we're about to get, I think, Hulk, Hulk Hogan and Hulk Hogan, and then we're off to the races, you know. So there's something interesting about not getting what you're used to getting for like 30 years, you know, now or so. <laughs> That's very true, yeah, and the pressure's off a little bit because, you know, this doesn't lock us into Big John Studd versus Randy Savage at WrestleMania oh. or anything. I mean, you know, God forbid. So God you can forbid. you can have something a little different, a little unexpected, and I think that's, you know, that's good. I will make one statement before we jump in because I did not belabor this. And I would have been happy with Rick Martel. I would have been happy with Ted DiBiase. I think all of those are better choices. But I do have to shout out uh, our prof from www.lopforums.com because narratively speaking, we won't get into what Ted DiBiase did until he does it. But Ted DiBiase has not learned his lesson. He's pulling the same tricks. And if you have the narrative of what Ted DiBiase did in this Royal Rumble and you narratively want to put somebody over and give them a win and have momentum. My God, the story itself testifies of a Hercules win. Mm, yeah. No, I, I love that idea, and it's certainly, to me, no uh, no no less deserving than Big John Studd. I, more deserving, you know, in my opinion. <laughs> so just me as a fan. I don't know. It definitely could have happened. Um, I love Hercules. We've talked a lot about how we love Hercules. Um and it makes me sad that uh, even now, I think, uh, with most fans, his narrative is pretty much non-existing. I just saw a comment um, just the other day that someone put up somewhere. They were watching his match with Billy Jack Haynes at WrestleMania 3, and they were like, oh, this was surprisingly okay. I always thought Hercules was horrible, but, uh, you know, and I'm like, oh, buddy, man. <laughs> you watched this match, and you thought... Hercules was going to be the horrible one. Just like people don't know. People don't know about Hercules. So we're going to tell you about him again out there, listeners, because we love the game. That, that hurts to listen to. I know. I know. Made me sad to see it. Everybody didn't use the tanning beds back then. <laughs> you, you could be pale and kind of, you know, kind of look like if you had a suit on, you might be a stockbroker. And you can still be a good wrestler and tell a good story and have a good character. Absolutely. And you know what? The chain ought to tell you that he's not a banker if that was what you were thinking. <laughs> it really should. I really think it's the curse of just being a muscular guy. That became like such a bad thing at one point, and we're still sort of shaking off that anti-muscular guy bias. Yeah, we will hear about that in this series again. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. So a couple of things to make point as we move into this show. I look forward to getting into the Royal Rumble match because last week Mystic, uh, oh god, I'm tired. My, I am Mystic and my colleague Miz fan told me that there were several spots in the Royal Rumble that he was looking forward to that if you remember correctly, our favorites are like ones that he really enjoyed. So I look forward to finding out what those spots were. I look forward to the fact that this is Gorilla Monsoon and Jesse Ventura again. And I look forward to the fact that the freaking Royal Rumble logo is on the apron, and this is more and more and more looking like the WWF that I started watching in 1991. Yes, the WWF that the world is watching. I still pop for that logo. <laughs> That's so good. So we kick off big time as far as, like, we're going into it. We're going to be here for a while type thing. We got a two out of three falls match to start off. It's going to be Dino Bravo and the Rougeos versus Mr. Hacksaw, Jim Duggan, and the Hart Foundation. 
Yep, Nino Bravo has graduated from overly long weightlifting segment to overly long wrestling match, which I guess at least is a step in the right direction. Uh, I did think it funny that right at the start here, Monsoon brings up again that weightlifting segment, and as promised, they just keep bringing it up till the end of time with Dino Bravo. And my man, Jesse Ventura, tells the truth. He says, oh, I'm tired of hearing about that. It's like, yeah. yes, we all are. Thank you. I was tired of it that night. But, you know, Jesse, <laughs> he had clung on to it for a while, but even Jesse's, like, identified me with uh, fresh content. Yes. Yes, indeed. Uh, Jesse says Hacksaw is too worried about his reception, which is just spot on. <laughs> Oh, I don't know if Jim Duggan ever worried about anything in his life. Um, not as a character, anyway. Uh, there's always... With Duggan, we've talked a lot about wrestlers I don't like. We've talked very extensively about wrestlers I don't like on this show at this point. And it's made me uh, examine a lot of these guys very closely, for better or for worse. And one of the things that gets me about Duggan, there's a lot of things that get me. One thing is I always see little hints of a wrestler that I probably could like, you know, uh, if I really wanted to, um, when he's just like throwing fists and, you know, he's fighting a guy and it's a little bit tough. And it's a little bit gritty. And then always, always he'll just like stop doing it. And he'll put his hands on his hips and like stick his tongue out and cross his eyes and shout ho or shout USA, or he'll just do something that ruins the whole thing. Yeah. I don't know if I could or not because, I understand exactly what you're saying, but I can't separate right. the action and offense, not even from the gimmick sometimes, but from the fact that he no-sells everything and he can't be hurt. Like, right. I noted down that a great heel move early is, like, Hacksaw is just, like, pushing uh, uh, Ramon, uh, Ramon, I don't even know how his name, one of the Rougeos. Uh-huh. And the, the guy just kind of braces his arm in like an arm bar while he's just trying to punch and shove. And I'm like, that is the greatest heel move against Hacksaw is to attempt to do a wrestling hold in the middle of all of like his just no sell chaos. <laughs> Indeed. Trying to engage Duggan in any actual wrestling is uh, very inappropriate, I think, in the mind of Duggan. Although he's the master of judging uh, whether you are right or wrong anyway. And he will never question whether he is right or wrong or not. So. And I get it, like, the Rougeos are smaller guys, but at the same time, like, he wrestles everybody like that, you know, yeah. just, like, I, I watch a lot of Lex Luger and Hulk Hogan and all of them, and even some of them sometimes will, like, have these push-offs where, like, both people are kind of pushing, but nobody's going that far at the beginning, or one person pushes the guy back into the corner and then the next guy, Hacksaw, no matter, you know, no matter who it is, he's just slinging them around the ring like they don't exist, and he's doing it like he's also bored, you know, like, not only can I not be hurt by you, but like I'm bored even like doing this type thing, and that just it just it just irritates me. And then I won't get to it yet, but by the time I already didn't want to see a 20 minute match in this, and then what we get at the end of it, I was I started to Royal Rumble pissed off. <laughs> this is definitely a show that starts low and uh, gets higher as it goes. Um, yeah, with Duggan, I mean, of course, you and I are on the same page. Everyone in WCW, they talk about how we squashed Steve Austin, which was terrible, but almost as bad to me is that he goes on at Starcade 94. He has his same exact match with Vader that he has with everyone else, except he's having it with Vader. And 
you know, it's like it's a bit hard hitting and, you know, it's maybe a little different if you want to look at it that way. But for Duggan, it's just the same because he's still, even with Vader, won't sell anything, you know. So I don't know. I can't I can't with Duggan for sure. I remember him doing things to Vader that I immediately pretended like he never did. <laughs> you know, when you got to do no selling as the audience, there's a problem in the ring. Yeah, for sure. For sure. What were the highlights here for you? Uh, <laughs> this was a very long match without a whole lot of highlights. Um, uh, you can see the continued progression of Brett, I think. Uh, I don't know if it's the first time I saw it, but he did uh, his corner bump chest first here uh, very impressively, which is always a, a, yeah. an impressive spot, even if um, it's one of those stock spots where you shouldn't think about that it happens in every match too much. Yeah, I don't know if he did that with Demolition, maybe. I feel like perhaps. I don't know, though. Maybe. I don't, it's definitely taking shape. His whole repertoire yeah. is slowly building up. Um, there was a, yeah, go ahead. There was a nice spot where like Jacques does that little backflip over the back, and he did that to Brett, and Brett like, clotheslined him like out of his boots out of it. Yeah. Jacques and Brett definitely were my favorite, too, in here. Yeah. They were doing some good stuff. Uh what else? Ventura wondering why the crowd is chanting USA for Bret Hart, um, which was fair. And it uh, throws my mind forward about uh, eight years to when Bret Hart would not be happy at all with that chant. But uh, he doesn't mind it this time, I guess. Or, you know, tw- four years later when he steals the world title out of the heart of America. <laughs> that also, maybe he was always anti-American. He hated that that decent Lex Luger with his little flag attire who only ever wanted to, like, chant USA and, you know, was not at all just, like, thrown into that character in a way that did not work. (laughs) Bret Hart got pinned in this to start off. That shocked me. Yeah, no, very true. He did. Um, He's a slow work in progress, for sure. They're not uh, overly going in for him. Like, he is is secondary to Jim Duggan here. Yeah. so that tells you what you need to know, I guess. The absurdity of the time that he gets beat up in the second fall. Like, there's just no there's no reason to carry on out of the first fall into the second as long as they do. Yeah. There's no reason for this match to be as long as it is in general. This is almost 20 minutes, and it's a shame in an era where a few people could have used that and never got it. We get here with Jim Duggan and Dino Bravo going almost 20 in the sixth man. So, oh, well. Yeah, I was not happy with this being the first match. And also, like, I'm low-key pissed off because part of me thinks Hacksaw's in the sixth-man tag and Warriors in the pose down because while Andre the Giant, Hulk Hogan, and Randy Savage could be eliminated from the Royal Rumble, maybe these guys can't. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, you may not be wrong here. Um, if Hogan be eliminated, anyone can. But, yeah, I, I do yeah. think they wanted to get these guys out of the way a little bit. But you know what? That just makes the rumble better, so yeah, you know that's absolutely. that's where the money is for me. Uh, this match finally ends, and yes, it's a terribly obnoxious ending, as you might expect, because Jim Duggan just, without even like a specific provocation, just with like his general all of life provocation, um, uses the board, his two by four, behind the referee's back. The baby faces get the win, and Gorilla Monsoon, that two faced son of a gun just says oh i call this ingenuity and just completely shuts down ventura's um pointing out at how completely wrong this is how it should be 
a miscarriage of justice, as Monsoon would usually say, but here he will say nothing of the sort. Absolutely. I call it a waste of 20 minutes I did not want to give in the first place. And if it's going to end with a fucking two by four, then just like pick up the two by four and start hitting them for the match and chase them away. The fans are still going to cheer. You know, like what is the point of a 20 minute match if it's just going? And it's not even like, oh, well, the heels got the two by four and then they lost it and he used it. So it's just like this thing that you could have done this anytime you wanted to. So like, what took you so long? For sure. Yeah, it's a bad opening match. I do not recommend it. If you're going to watch the show and you haven't already, just feel free to skip it. That's a good point. I don't know why Duggan wrestles any matches, because I don't think he cares if he wins or loses from a character perspective. All he wants to do is use the board and beat up people he doesn't like, so why doesn't he just do that and save us the trouble of ever having to watch him wrestle? That would be great. I don't think you can explain it, you know? I don't think anybody that's booking, I don't think Hacksaw, I don't think people that watch... You know, there's no point, especially if he wasn't in the match. If I'm Bret Hart and I got beat up for 15 minutes, like, I'm going to be pissed when I get to the back. Like, you could have took the two by four and hit somebody and ended this at any time, but you waited till you were involved and you didn't care when I was, like, for 15 minutes, like, getting the shit kicked out of me. Man, come on. <laughs> yep, classic Duggan. What can you do? Uh, we'll say a couple of things. There was a monkey flip attempt. I don't know if this was Bret and Jacques, but it was so smart because, like, they were trying to monkey flip him, and... He couldn't because Brett hooked the ropes, but you don't yet notice that. So then, like, they're pulling the hair, and, like, if I can pull them down by the hair, they'll come off. But, you know, it's just that kind of, like, we're actually in the ring and, like, real competition is happening uh, type moment. Um, and then Hacksaw did something stupid. Who knows what it was? And Real Monster <laughs> says, that's what happens when you're not used to tag team wrestling. And Jesse says, no, that's what happens when you're Hacksaw Jim Duggan and you've got a peanut for a brain. Ventura <laughs> <laughs> had his number. For sure. I love it. Yeah, Girl Monsoon at one point said that, oh, if, if I was, like, I would love to have Hacksaw as a partner, and Jesse's like, you're retired. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Ventura and Monsoon together again. They're such a great pair. I, I love to hear them. There's a beautiful moment, because they keep advertising WrestleMania 5, and number one, hearing them say, like, you know, that we're not yet to WrestleMania 5. Like, it just blows your mind, like, what world we are in. But also, just a moment where Jesse and uh, Gorilla say, and we, we've been there for all of them. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I don't know when that stops, but they call all the first uh, WrestleManias together. I, I'm trying to remember when Ventura leaves. I have an image of him showing up, I think, in 91. So he may be calling him through, what is that, 7, I think? Uh, yeah. We'll see, yeah. Man, that's that's an, mm. Oh, my. Oh, my. The things will change, folks. And we are we've almost gotten to the point because this era is so long that you can start taking it for granted. Like you can say, oh, my God. Well, it's just Vince and Jesse or it's Jesse and Gorilla or it's Bobby. But we will not say that forever. No, someday we'll be saddled with Jerry Lawler and uh, Michael Cole and other people that you would never want to hear voluntarily. So here we are. It's, I mean, it's something strange to, like, have those changes made. Like, when are we going to be sitting here looking at an entirely different, like, booth? Yeah, I don't know. Certainly in the 90s at some point, but uh, we're not there yet. We're in the glorious year of 89, so I'm I'm, I'm not going to count my chickens before they're hatching. Yes. So we go back uh, to the back where we're actually watching wrestlers uh, draw numbers. The first one is Ted DiBiase. 
Uh, he's very excited about his number until he actually draws it. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, that's when the shenanigans, I think, begin. <laughs> they seem to, yes. Uh, Ted DiBiase is not thrilled with his number. He calls over. Somebody's nearby. It's slick. It looks like they're going to make uh, make a deal here. And I got something to say about this deal, but I'm going to save it until we get a little farther on. But uh, I'll say there's a bunch of these little segments where people are drawing numbers. And I will say uh, I love so many things about the Royal Rumble. And one of them is I love little segments like this because it allows you to have wrestlers and characters who react to something contextually that is not just their participation in a wrestling match. Obviously, it's involved with that, but it gives them all a moment to kind of show who they are in a different scenario, and that means you have to have characters who can exist in other scenarios besides just stepping in the ring. They have to have a little bit of depth. They have to have the capacity to react to things, in uh, in a different way, so I love these little segments, and uh, there's a bunch of them on this show, and I really enjoy that. Absolutely, one of my fa- I think top five favorite things in the beginning of my fandom was when I would see a Royal Rumble and they'd have rapid fire, you know, commentary, mm-hmm. and just seeing the screen flick from somebody who I've never seen with someone else, and all of them, you know, are in this moment. Like back then, you know, too, you would think like, oh my God, you know. Yeah, yeah, Marty Marty might get it. Marty seems excited. He might win the Rumble tonight. Nah, Marty's not winning it. No, indeed not. But still, you know, you never know. You think about all the possibilities. Just like we were saying, even when you get in the match, you can't stop thinking about those possibilities. And, you know, it could go this way. This could go that way. This would be so interesting, you know. I love, I love Rumbles just because you have to be able to react to so many different things, so many different scenarios, different characters, you would not normally run into. Uh, it forces a certain level of depth that you just don't necessarily see with a bunch of, uh, you know, singles matches or tag matches on the card. I had a thought, and I think for a lot of people this would be horrible, so I would not suggest it for a big-time deal like the Rumble, but it would be interesting for me as a fan if they had next to zero matches, like very, very few matches, and the Rumble all night, if they could figure out a way to make story matter all night with the 30 people who are in the Royal Rumble. Mm. That's because, interesting. Yeah. yeah. Go ahead. I was, that's interesting. I think it'd be tough to uh, draw it out over that amount of time, but I, I'd give it a shot. I'd watch it. I think Lucha Underground could do it. I don't sure. know if anyone I mean, yeah, else could Their do Rumbles it. basically lasted the full hour, the whole show, you know, and they were great. They were some of the best episodes I ever saw, so... You could have random things and make it like one of these horror movies or video games where, oh, well, here's 15 minutes where you can trade numbers. Here's 15 minutes where, well, if somebody dies, you know, if it's Lucha Underground, well, then they can't be in it. And if they had a better number than you, you can take their number. I don't know. I don't know what we do to keep story going, but I know that every time I've ever watched a rumble, I love the storytelling in the back almost as much as the match. Mm-hmm. And if they did it right, even some of it being interviews, like longer form interviews or putting people together. Like I would love to see honky tonk men behave different than honky tonk men because tonight is different than most nights of my career. Mm. Instead, he's just pissed because all the heels always draw bad numbers and get pissed. But yet there's gotta be some heels that come in in the twenties. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, that's all right. You know, I'm just going to talk about this now because it's like uh, it's under my skin a little bit here. Okay. Ted DiBiase, he goes off. He's mad about his number. 
he goes off with Slick, and the implication is he, like, buys one of Slick's numbers, he trades it off with them. The earliest guy under Slick's care that comes in comes in at 22. So the worst number DiBiase could have gotten is 22, which is not a bad number at all. It's not a number to be mad about, but we know that Ted DiBiase, um, you know, he, he, he wants everything. He just uh, doesn't just yeah. want to win. You know, he wants to have the power. He wants to uh, make things be the way he thinks they should be. So God knows how much he spent just to save himself, at best, eight spaces in the Rumble. You know, you'd think he'd pick number one or something, but not not so. Can't be. Absolutely. That blew my mind, too, when I saw them come out. So I was like, oh, my God, so they're in the, they're in the 20s. But I do think at the same time, Teddy Biasi has created an entire career where he's always going to win the thing that has nothing to do with the thing that he needs to win. Mm, like, congrats, you know, you got to come in 30. But, you know, how embarrassing is it also that you came in 30 and you couldn't win it? <laughs> this has a, a great payoff next year, actually. One full year away, we will see some consequences of this moment. So I'm excited for that as well. Oh, that's awesome. I love that. Cause I, I don't know if this is what you're talking about or not, but I know there's eventually he comes in number one or two, I think, in a rumble. And yeah, we shall see. We shall see. You know. He does indeed, though. <laughs> that's a, that's another thing back then, because I didn't know, like, oh, this guy's a workhorse, or this guy can bump, or this guy's a great wrestler. But there would always be those rumbles even early on where I was like, oh, my God, so-and-so is really good. Like, you know, mm-hmm. one year it would be like Ted DiBiase showing out. This year... Mr. Perfect and Shawn Michaels, amongst others, just phenomenal job here. But there's always these standouts that you would not get to see on an average night standout. Mm, yeah, absolutely. And a lot of people get a chance to do their thing, so I, I appreciate it a lot. Bad News yeah. Brown. Okay, here's a heel. Bad News Brown says it's good news for bad news, so he does leave excited <laughs> about his number. And he comes in at number 13, so I honestly <laughs> think he just wanted to come in and, like, punch the maximum number of people. I don't think yes. he was concerned about being towards the end. He, no, he did not seem that way. Uh, then uh, Jake Roberts, again, this nonsense. Like, he gets his number, and then imagine saying, I just hope Andre is still in there. <laughs> Man, just just wrestle your Royal Rumble. Like you might get Andre in there if you're not careful. So just you know, get your mind right, son. <laughs> oh man, I kind of love that for two reasons. One, I feel like you have to be uh, quite a badass to like invite Andre to your door, and it's not like he's ignorant of what Andre can do. I remember Survivor Series when he mm. got roughed up very badly by Andre the Giant. So to me, it's kind of badass he would say that. And the second thing is, this goes right into what we were talking about before, that when Jake Roberts engages in a game, when he finds, like, some prey to play a game with, it consumes, like, his whole perspective, his whole career. You know, God knows if he even is aware he's in a Royal Rumble. Like, that's in the background. He's having his conflict with Andre, his game with Andre, and it's going to continue, you know, come hell or high water. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't think he realizes or either doesn't care that his partner in this game does not enjoy playing this game with him. <laughs> Might actually make it better, you know, um, for Jake yeah. from his perspective. He's a he's a dark kind of character, so, you know. I don't know if I've ever seen Andre, so uh, I, I love the consistency. This is all this much time later, and the, Andre's feelings about all this have not subsided in the least. Not at all. I mean, this started, what, in the summer, I think. So, you know, they're, they're doing a great job with this. I love these feuds that go and go. 
Absolutely. The Rockers draw and they wish each other good luck. And we, we end scene and we come back to the women's championship on the line. Rockin' Robin versus Judy Martin. But yet there's another woman already in the ring. There is, yes, the true star of this soon-to-be-defunct promotion uh, or division is here. It is sensational. Sherry, she gets on the mic, and she challenges the winner of this match to a title match against her. She says she's more woman than both of them put together. (laughs) I love it. I love Sherry. I don't think she's ever going to get that match. If she will, I don't think we'll see it, because this, this, I think, is the last we'll see of the women until the days of uh, Alundra Blaze. Yeah, uh, I love the the commentary. I feel like it's just unfolding natural because she's like, I'm more woman than either one of you. And then it's like she just kind of assesses the moment and then she's like, or both put together. (laughs) (laughs) And she really kind of is at this point because you can tell whose division this is or would be uh, if it were to continue on. Absolutely. The women's division didn't go away because of Sherry, that's for sure. It went away. Well, because of the WWF, but also because uh, you don't see a lot of women on her level. So, in all fairness, you know, there's, there's a lot of great women. Uh, we're going to have a match here that I think is uh, perfectly decent. But, yeah, uh, Sherry is definitely on a higher plane than most of the women and most of the guys, to be honest. I think uh, the fact that WrestleMania would have had to been Sherry's, like, crowning moment. They're like, nah, no, that's not happening. The boyhood dream has come true for Sherry Martell. <laughs> not at WrestleMania, not not a heel. Uh, we She's don't, have, we don't have boyhood dreams yet. We're not into that era, which I think is That's um, true. to our benefit. Too many boyhood dreams eventually. Well, do we ever like get any inclination of Hulk Hogan like being a boy or like you know a young man or any of that? God no, he, he sprouted fully formed with his mustache <laughs> and his muscles, you know. Um, <laughs> it really feels like it would lessen like the Hogan's and the Savages if you're like, oh, there's Savage at 14, you know. There's <laughs> a different time. For sure, yeah. No, it is different. And uh, I joked about it, but Boyhood Dream like will become overpowering. Like I can think of almost every major WWE person um, from like the 2000s on. Like at some point they'll show you pictures of them being a kid and it will be like, oh, I always wanted to be a wrestler. And that just didn't exist uh, for a long time before that, you know, it was just uh, a different business, a different vibe. I can't even imagine, like, Kid Hulk Hogan. I- I'm honestly not sure it exists. I don't know if there's any photographic evidence of that. I mean, there probably is, but it's just not something that's even in the conversation. I think I've seen it, maybe, and he lo- does, he looks like Hulk Hogan, yeah. <laughs> you know, of, of now. It's not the picture's black and white, but he's like Hulk Hogan still. Right. I will get, I'll throw two conspiracy theories out there about this whole boyhood dream thing. I think sometimes they, there's a narrative when the person themselves might not be able to convey something as well as some others can. Mm-hmm. And then I also think that it might be the fact that a lot of them look like they're 14. <laughs> <laughs> well, so those no, are just, yeah. No one could accuse Hogan of looking 14, no. for sure. Uh, I will also posit that it is the... Um, uh, perhaps undue influence of Shawn Michaels on yes. the the progression of the WWE, and uh, you know I'm I'll, I'll have some things to say about Shawn Michaels. There's no doubt that he's great. He is a legend, uh, but I will just say like many legends, I think he has a lot of poor impersonators, uh, which is not his fault. So we'll get into a little bit of that uh, a long time from now. So we'll see. 
Yeah. And you got to understand, too, I think at the time, like Shawn Michaels is a guy, and I'll probably say this again when we get closer to it, but Shawn Michaels wrestled his first match, I believe, not knowing if the outcomes were predetermined or not. Right. That's the story. You know, he is an out, like he is an outsider to this world. He's also a crybaby who's going to lose his smile and be dysfunctional. Like, there's a lot of reasons why that story kind of works. He has a very unhealthy relationship with Vince McMahon, like some of these folks do. Mm-hmm. You know, there was an intimacy and a making it work. Like, it had a whole thing around it, including, like, the reality of the wrestler. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't just then drop that on every single other person because, you know, you got to have some... Number one, it's already been done now. Number two, you got to have some uniqueness. Like, I kind of like... They did that a little bit with Chris Benoit, but they did it in a completely different way. It's like a gritty, like... You know, this guy's in a, in a is in a dark uh, basement that is his bedroom, like lifting weights and being half angry. You know, but it's kind of his dream too. Like, don't look at his face. You know, he's looks <laughs> angry. Don't look at it. You know, it's a completely different feel. But like, I got I got roped into the Benoit narrative, so I can't knock that. So I think sometimes it can work. You know, yeah, who knows? It's all about the execution, the nuance, the layers. Like, there's definitely ways to do it. Like Shawn Michaels is like. The, the boy in his bed at night dreaming about being champion, and Chris Benoit is the guy who's, like, laying bleeding on the mat, like, in some mid-card yes. match, and he's thinking, you know, someday this blood will help me become world champion. Yeah. So it's a little bit different execution, um, and it just shows, yeah, with a good um, – with, with attention to detail, you can certainly make the story work. Yeah. It's good stuff. We're a long ways away from it. You know, right now people again they they all they all were born with beards and mustaches and seven foot four. Mo- Imagine Andre. Jeez, I, I don't know if I've seen him either. Yeah, well, <laughs> even when he like with his condition, I'm sure at a very young age he was ridiculously tall, so it would be hard to uh, picture in any way. I'm imagining the three of them together at like seven or fourteen, or have your pick your number, and I've got a feeling like my imagination is both <laughs> off but not completely so. Sure, yeah, I mean Savage too. Like a lot of these guys, you can't really imagine that well as children. It's just like I think it's their characters, it's the time that they were in. Um, you know, we're in an era now where to be a, a a childlike person for a long time is sort of encouraged, and there's good and there's bad with yeah. that. And these guys come from a time when at least from the feel of it, like your childhood was over before it started, you know, like get to work. So it's, it's just a, a very different generation. Well said the good stuff. I, it's a weird, we're having a weird moment today is, <laughs> as, we, as we straddle generations and, you know, things to come. It's, but, but it's also appropriate. Like it, it only started hitting me that we are in the final year of this decade. Like we will not be in the eighties anymore when we get done with 89 and we will never be back to it. Yeah, no, the nineties is a hugely different animal. It's actually several different animals, I think. Yes. So it's going to be a whole new conversation. And as a Mids fan kind of told you already, we are seeing what is by all intents and purposes, the end of the women's division for now in this rock and Robin Judy Martin match. We do get sensational Sherry in the booth, which is nice as well. So You've got the idea that the, the bell is continuing on, whether it is or not. Yeah, and I'm sure there was a possibility that it would. Like, obviously, they're preparing for something with Sherry here. Uh, it's just never going to materialize. So, I, I don't know if I have a lot to say about the match. I did think uh, it was a fine match, a very decent match. Uh, I like Sherry on commentary. 
she's kind of just making fun of both women. She's fighting with Monsoon, and Ventura's backing her up, and uh, it's just a fun time. You know, I had no problem with this. Uh, it didn't wow me, but fine, good, decent. Yeah, it was fine. I think at the end, they, they came together a little bit at the end. Judy Martin was called lethargic, and I think fairly so, uh, from the booth. Um Girl Monsoon also says, I was in attendance in Paris, France when she lost the belt, so. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's a nice we callback to something we saw. We were in attendance as well, so. Yeah. <laughs> and my favorite line from the whole match is, uh, Sherry says, you saw what happened. Well, you saw what the Bomb Angels did to Judy Martin. Yeah, shout out to the Jumping Bomb Angels who uh, sold the show when they came over, and they are no longer anywhere in sight, unfortunately. So then we get our first like WrestleMania. Well, Rock and Robin is going to win this matchup, and as you probably think that she would, and so you got to set up for the rematch if it were to happen: Rock and Robin versus Sensational Sherry. Absolutely so. So thank you, women. We will see you in several years, and Sherry will very soon be uh, in a role that we are looking forward to, as uh, oh, yeah. the the being at the side of the Macho Man. So I'm excited for that. We get a WrestleMania 5 image, April 2nd, 1989. Uh, Gorilla Monsoon says, I can't believe we're all the way to five. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's got to be something incredible. These, we take WrestleMania for granted now, but how many years did these guys sit around in a totally different wrestling world where there's no such thing as WrestleMania? And now, God, it must have been so strange. It must have been like having the tiger by the tail through this whole era to just be on this wild ride and not know where you were going. And finally, we're reaching kind of a point of stability. And, you know, they don't know. It's going to kind of turn down a little bit after that. But it just must be a, a really surreal thing to watch the business you worked in all these years change so much. Absolutely. And we know we'll have a narrative about you know, should they have moved on from Hogan earlier? Hogan just goes on so long, but you forget until you're in it that they are they not they don't yet have evidence that there's a such thing as WrestleMania outside of Hulk Hogan. That's how tied together these things are. Yeah, we've talked about it many times. I'll just say again, I, I can't stress enough how instrumental Hogan was in just changing everything in wrestling, like changing the limits of what were possible in wrestling. Um, there's a reason Hogan will keep going with the WWF, will keep going with WCW, they'll bring him back like in the 2000s. Like, it's hard to stop trying with Hogan because he kind of is a goose that just keeps laying golden eggs, and we think some of those eggs stink, but a lot of them still like made a lot of money, you know. Uh, he made these huge buy rates in WCW, like, he made their company profitable for the first time, all this stuff. Uh, Hogan is, uh, not like anybody, so, you know, you can see it to a certain extent. Yeah, the quote of the week is, it's hard to stop trying with Hogan. <laughs> because it is, and also he, under, he not only understands that in the natural of what he's giving, but he also understands that as a politician, and you, you wrap all that around each other, and you get what you get, and, you know, I think it's helping me to understand, because I so disliked the Hogan narrative that it was almost like the first thing he ever did that was successful was the NWO. And then like there was some WWF stuff that is off camera by now. Like so far back it's off camera, but yeah. you know, are we, we're going to get, are we going to get rock Hogan within the time we're covering? We are. We are. It's amazes me that I'm not excited. Like I did back. I did not feel this way then. And maybe I won't when I get to it, but having started in this era, I think I'm going to appreciate 
that match in a different way than I would have it any other time. Yeah, I always thought, like, I recognize the good things about it. It doesn't thrill me like it does some. Like, you see some people talk about it as their favorite match ever. Um, and I can see that perspective. I never felt it, but I haven't watched it in a really long time. So I'll be interested as well when we finally get there. My older brother is a Hogan fan to the extent that if he wasn't a Hogan fan, he wouldn't be a wrestling fan. Like, that's how deep he is a Hogan fan. Sure. And I think I asked him, I think, about his favorite matches. And I think, or most important matches or something... I can't remember. I think he gave maybe three, but Andre Hogan was on it, and then Rock Hogan was on it. And that surprised me because he hasn't watched a lot of wrestling for probably decades, but he had Rock Hogan for his experiences up with Andre and Hogan and I think one other. Maybe Savage Hogan. Hmm. That third one's almost even more interesting because you don't actually hear that one talked about a lot. Um, But I don't know. We're getting close to it now, so we'll see what we think. Yeah, I don't know if he meant the match as much as like the longevity of like their storyline, I guess for him, sure. Uh, just you know, comes back and comes back and comes back. And we talked about this in the forums for a non-Hogan fan. Uh, it was asked, did Randy Savage ever pin Hulk Hogan in the history of their like careers? <laughs> and uh, not not in a singles match is the answer. Um, maybe in a tag, I would be surprised. But uh, yeah, between house shows, WWF, WCW. 95 singles matches, and uh, while Savage is winning by countout, by DQ, more often than not even, never a pinfall, and that you can't say that's the true the other way around. Nah, I, I heard Hogan recently say, they asked him, did you like, what did you like better, teaming up with Savage or wrestling Savage? And he's like, oh man, wrestling Savage, because it was so easy. And I thought he meant because Savage was such a good wrestler, but now I guess he meant something else. <laughs> <laughs> he may have meant both. Uh, yeah. What a what a weird relationship they have. They had my God. And so like we we are right now we are predominantly WWF. WCW is other even like this is the first time in my life WCW is other. So uh, World War Three like th- we got some of the shittiest booking in the history of all things. <laughs> uh, when it was like we're, we're gonna copy like the entire eighties of WWF in two weeks in WCW. And I will still say that if I go back and watch it, like I will not use that booking. Mm. But the one thing I will say that I like now is the fact that so they're they're copying the tournament and the giant and the turn and all of that. So like, there's the giant screwing Hogan out of the belt. The belt gets held up and there's World War Three instead of a WrestleMania Four tournament. And there's Savage winning the belt, but Hulk Hogan goes under the ropes. So there's controversy. But instead of waiting a year that night, Hogan and Savage are going at it. And all of that irritates me in a million different ways. But I think the one thing I like about it now looking back is 10 years later, it it doesn't take Savage a year to be fed up with Hulk Hogan. (laughs) Yep, yep. He learned his lesson. Uh the only other thing I'll say about that is, um, yeah, I'm not really a fan of it either, but I think watching this stuff through, it does kind of help you understand why they would try to go back to this well, because it's just so damn good and so damn successful at this time. I think it was still the wrong call, but like it does help you understand, well, okay, they tried this because it was like the greatest thing in the world the first time it happened. You know, If they had done a better job, who knows what they might have gotten. I say fair point. Um, I think there's truth in that, especially if you're running a multi-million dollar business, you're going to try maybe what is dependable. The only counter to that as a WCW guy is you have all of the best of WWF and the best of WCW. And it seemed like every six months to a year before you ever had that PWI and all of them would run these like 
on the front cover dream like well, what in the world would it look like if you had sting and lex luger and randy savage and hulk hogan well you got sting and lex luger and randy savage and hulk hogan and rick flair and yet like the wcw guys just can't contend right yeah i bet so, uh, i bet they never put hogan and beefcake on one of those covers you know surprise oh. surprise <laughs> oh jeez, beefcake again will somehow i don't know how this happens because hacksaw offended me with a 20 minute match and beefcake will have a two minute promo later that will offend me even more but you know <laughs> life sean mooney uh is with slick and my god they want some answers because two heel managers were caught on camera having a conversation or two wrestlers or two personalities were having a conversation and something foul must have happened <laughs> i love this because yeah sean mooney is grilling slick because every baby face interviewer has the right to grill heels if he wants to <laughs> He's grilling him about this interaction with Ted DiBiase. And Slick, God bless him, says, uh, Ted DiBiase, I haven't seen him in over a month. <laughs> and Sean Mooney, to his credit, is ready. He is just ready, willing, and able with this because he immediately rolls the footage of DiBiase and Slick going off together earlier that same day. And Slick, well, he misunderstood. He thought he meant... Ted, who did the shoe shine, who shines his shoes, so that that's completely different. And then Slick wraps it up by saying, it's none of your business anyway, which yeah. is true. So God bless Slick. I love this segment. It's great stuff. Yeah, he says, you mean that, Ted DiBiase. <laughs> you know, uh, not, it's an innocent mistake. I also noted that unlike Gene Arkell and Sean Mooney has footage, so... Yep, yep. Sean Mooney was actually prepared. He didn't just uh, act it offended. He played it cool. He played the footage. You know, he was ready to go. This is the stuff I'm talking about. Maybe you can't have a whole show of it, but you could have even more. Like, everything is different than it will be the rest of the year on this night. And just this whole interaction. And it's a scary time. Like, it's a different time. And for me, it's a better time because it feels more wild and organic. Because this is a time that Fuji is, I think, twice maybe going to say one time in front of his wrestlers that he's going to be the winner and he'll pit them against each other pretty much and screw them like the winner is going to be Fuji. And Slick is openly selling like wrestlers numbers when they're right beside him. You know, there's something about the wildness of this era that would allow, I think, and maybe that's why I tie it with Lucha Underground, that if you have a super controlled era. I don't want to see like 30 minutes or an hour of storytelling, but like in this landscape, like who knows? God only knows what Hulk Hogan is doing behind the scenes, you know, to prep for the Royal Rumble. Like this is a time where you might possibly could do it. Like I would love to know more about Andre the Giant preparing for the Royal Rumble. Like there's lots of things I would love to see. So I just, I could live inside of segments like that for a whole lot longer. That's a great point. You know, I love segments like these as well. Um, I think they could even do more of them. I, in an era like this, you could almost talk to every single person in the Rumble, and they do talk to quite a few, but an important thing for me um, is just, like, tell me, show me what the wrestlers want, because, um, you know, in, in a later time, every wrestler will want the same thing, but that's not really true at this time. You know, they do have different wants, they have different goals, and uh, you, you put it well, like, you can live inside that for a long time, actually, so... I really like all the setup they do for this. They've got the rapid-fire promos. They've got these backstage segments where they're picking the numbers. they got a lot of good stuff. You can really do even more, so maybe they will in a future Rumble. I, don't, I like the way you frame it with the chaos 
going on backstage, and everyone kind of has their own plan about how they're going to deal with this. It's new. We've never had a big 30-man rumble before, and everyone is sort of, like, figuring out their plots and plans. Yeah. There has to be a way that there's some weight to what you're watching, but it's just even Hulk Hogan's going to say later that, you know, the Heenan family is in this, and that just, like, I pop big for that because, oh, my God, you know, they, they've had them away from each other for so long that just that mention, you know, I love that. I know for a fact that's probably not going to be the main storyline. It's not going to be. But at the same time, I now have to pay attention to Hogan and the Heenan family. Right. Uh, Benjamin Button was texting me um, this week talking about just like just the magnitude of the commentators in this era. And so when we come out there, Gene Oakland is going to host this pose down. And Howard Finkel introduces Gene Oakland. And Gene Oakland gets a babyface wrestler's pop when he's introduced. Yeah, no. For it's sure. just a different time. Yeah, it, it really is. <laughs> and Jesse, would you get a look at that? Because Jesse hates any other announcer, especially Gene Erkeling, getting that shine. <laughs> There's some, uh, I won't call it jealousy, but yeah, Ventura uh, would rather spotlight for himself. Okay, we're in the pose down now. Oh boy, yep. Um, best part of this is definitely Jesse Ventura criticizing Warrior's technique uh, harshly at every given opportunity, which is very fair. So if you know anything about bodybuilding, there actually is like a lot of technique stuff. And I don't know, because Warrior was a bodybuilder, but I don't think he's really doing any of that stuff because he's Warrior and God knows what's going on in his mind. <laughs> Yeah, bring that same energy to his matches when you're calling him to. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. he probably will. So. Oh, he killed that guy. That's not a shoulder block. Oh, my God, you don't let him down like that. Oh, he's not looking where he's going. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, as compared to the uh, the weightlifting segment of last year, I don't think this is quite as bad because nobody has to, like, harass the audience for not appreciating it but uh it still goes on a lot longer than i think it needs to way too long the only thing i liked in this segment is bobby heenan praising the intelligence of houston texas <laughs> bobby heenan as always uh doing his most to make this work so yes love Bobby. i think i mentioned this last week this is where you like brain and weasel overlap is the exact same thing <laughs> <laughs> for sure uh, so this lengthy segment, who is just for Vince and nobody else, um, yes. finally ends as Heenan. I, this was weird to me. I don't know if you saw the same as me, but to me it looked like Heenan tries to spray something in Warrior's eyes, and Warrior, like, doesn't get it and just, like, yeah. keeps posing and, like, doesn't follow along with what's happening. And then Root hits him with the weight bar that he was holding so uh, that that knocks Warrior out, and that kind of moves the segment to an end at last. Warrior probably felt like that was beneath him. <laughs> My eyes don't get hurt, buddy. No, his eyes are from the seventh dimension of <laughs> rock tar, and I, you know, I don't know whatever's going on with Warrior. This was a lot like the the first match too. That it went on a long time, and it was always going to end the way that it ended. Right. Yeah. Could have saved us a lot of time here. They just hit him with the uh, whatever it is you got in your hand and then basically no-sell it because then we can skip a few too because we ultimately know you can't lose and you're not going to because you're superior. But then Rude's going to get the best of him eventually, so, you know. Yeah, yeah. He has some kind of loss coming, so that's something. Man, you uh, sure could forget he's Intercontinental Champion. He's not exactly uh, workhorsing that title, is he? No. <laughs> 
<laughs> oh man, I love that. For those of you who may not listen to every episode, uh, Miss Van challenged that narrative about the workhorse title a long time ago, and then he just. You thought that was the punch, but the punch was coming like three and a half months later, and it, it just landed. <laughs> I mean, the one-two punch really was Honky Tonk Man and Warrior, and if you still want to make that claim, because, like, they hold the title basically exclusively for, like, what, three years, I think, basically? So, uh, you know, it's there's not an argument to be made. It might be an early 90s argument. I don't know, because you're going to get Bret Hart, Mr. Perfect, I think Roddy Piper, Shawn Michaels, Marty Jannetty, Shawn Michaels. You know, there's gonna be a there's gonna be some errors where it's true, but it's just definitely not a start to finish up and down uh, truth. Definitely not, because eventually it'll be on like Road Dog and stuff, and it'll be passed yeah. around like ten times a day. So, yeah, I mean, if that's your argument, then every title is a workhorse title because at some point it's gonna go through like some good wrestlers. So it just doesn't work as a narrative. <laughs> I wonder if that was people that did not like Hulk Hogan and the world title, and they just called anything that wasn't that. <laughs> you know, because we're like now that you say that, we're because like I was even thinking when I was trying to at least make some argument is like when I was talking about Brett and Sean carrying it. Well, they carried the world title too in the nineties, and you know, sure, so yeah. there's a reason. And most of the time, every argument that people are making is not about the thing; it's sadly against something else. So I wonder if it's if it was more, or they just watched. Ricky Steamboat and Randy Savage, and they're like, oh, my God, this is the first time two people ever did a wrestling match. That was wrestling. <laughs> and then, uh, well, that must mean, well, first of all, your your first statement is false, so please don't make a second one off of that. <laughs> that would be a lot to ask for these days. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think it definitely does come, like you say, just like if you watch WrestleMania three, be like, oh, one of these matches was work rate and one was not, so I must expand this, you know, to the end of Infinity. It does fit a little better in that time because you had, like, Tito and Valentine and yeah. then Savage and then Steamboat. But, again, it doesn't really hold up as a narrative because then we get, like, multi-year segments where it is just anything but a work-rate title. So so it doesn't really work. Um, but, yeah, perspective sometimes is more important than reality. So take it, it for what you will. My perspective is shattered every week, so you know, there's no shame in it. Uh, Pat Patterson, too, I think, was the first champion. Is that correct? He was, yes. No, so I think that might lend something. And then, but, you know, you can't, you can't defeat the fact that I think the, the longest, was, was Honky the longest reigning champion after his reign? Yes, he was. He still is, I think. Yeah, so you got, you got to, you got to include him as the work great champion if you're going to do that because, and that's, you know, make that argument if you want to, but <laughs> good luck with it. Yeah, and after that, it's Warrior and it's, um, Rick Rude briefly, and I, you know, I don't get in a fight about Rick Rude with anybody, but you can't really tell me Warrior is like the in-ring workhorse. You just can't. If you say that, then we we don't have anything else to talk about. Yeah, no. And I, on the other hand, will have the Rick Rude conversation <laughs> with whoever wants to have it. So. Oh my! All right. Fuji. Repping the powers of pain. There are two people that he is repping, but only one, he says, can be the winner, and that's Mr. Fuji. Absolutely. He also says, I believe that the powers of pain are the biggest people in the Rumble, which is just yeah. not true at all. Like, uh. they're probably not in the top five, so, oh boy. Yep, Demolition. Uh, Fuji continues to uh, prove my claim right, uh, show over show. 
Yeah, that's why I wrote down his consistency is consistent because it is out there in the open and it never changes. Yep, he didn't bring the mustard at least. Oh, God. Ooh, okay. <laughs> so Savage and Hogan, uh, what do we got next? Is this, oh, is, man, oh, this no, is we have Okerlund talking to Liz, and if you don't know, that's bad on paper. Those two alone together. Oh, boy. Liz says she'll be cheering uh, both Savage and Hogan. And when pressed, she says, oh, well, I try not to think about who I will support if they have to fight each other. And uh, Okerlund keeps pushing her, but she, he can't get uh, an answer one way or the other. So here, Okerlund, I would say he's trying to stir the pot, but here I think he just wants her to proclaim that she likes Hogan more because that's where he's at. So Yeah. And, you know, she's been managing Hulk Hogan for a week and a half, and she doesn't know which one she would like to win the Rumble, so... It's a very difficult decision for oh, Elizabeth. This All is right, also... Sorry, go yeah. ahead. No, go ahead. I was just saying, my only counterpoint to that is Hulk Hogan never used her as a human shield for years and uh, did all these other things. And um, Yeah, I don't know. There's a lot of history between Liz and Savage, which makes it a little more credible that maybe she would look at somebody else and be like, hey, maybe I actually do like this guy better, even though I just uh, knew him for a little bit. Yeah, if that's what she's doing, maybe. We'll see. <laughs> I don't I, know again, if it I, is, but yeah. I want to know what happens after WrestleMania 5 because right. it seems like in my mind the way this is going, the Savage would go away and that Liz and Hogan would be the manager and wrestler together. Yeah, I mean, um, I, that definitely is not what will happen, I don't think, so we'll wait and see what the exact reality is. Yeah, I have no idea, but it's interesting. It, it does exactly what the story should do, which is, again, it freezes things in place that we are pretending like this is a chaotic thing that when it pops off is going to change the professional wrestling landscape forever, and we got everybody who can trying to, is trying to freeze it and say, there's nothing to see here, folks. Keep on, keep on moving. Nothing to see here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. This is also wasn't. This is all managers talking, so this is also cool. It's Fuji, then it's Liz, and then it's Jimmy Hart. <laughs> poor, poor all of Jimmy Hart's clients because he basically just talks about the honky talk man the whole time. Yeah. And man, if I were managing anyone Jimmy Hart was, I would not spend my time talking about honky talk man. Especially when one of them is Greg the Hammer Valentine. Yeah, for God's sakes, man! I remember when Jimmy Hart had like every champion in the company practically. It sure feels like he fell off steeply, um, but that's fine because he's Jimmy Hart, and I don't care about him that much. I never would have guessed. Uh, Bobby Heenan, like the, the level of success that some of these managers have had versus Bobby Heenan is something that I definitely had to revisit this era to understand. Oh, sure, yeah. They're still on him, I think, about never having a champion. He's been here since 1984. It's, it's almost five years on, so. Wow. That's amazing. And that's, again, perception because, you know, we look at Bobby Heenan when we're, when we're critiquing as one of, if not the greatest of all time, but then. Like that almost blurs the fact that he did all of that without winning, and also the, I will especially in WWF, there is hardly ever a kind of babyface celebration like the Ric Flair, Mr. Perfect, Bobby Heenan thing in '92, and now it's going to pay off even more because not realizing that Bobby Heenan had this is like drought for so long. Yeah, uh, on the other side of that though, this is an era where I think it means more to manage a loser who's contending for the world title than yes. it does a winner who is uh, one of the secondary champions. Absolutely. That's a fair point. It's also, though, weird because I just thought of this. 
it's going to be the Brain Busters who are going to get him tag team gold, and it's going to be Nature Boy Ric Flair that's going to get him the heavyweight title. <laughs> Indeed, yeah. No, he'll his his drought will be over soon, and then he will pick up quite a few titles before uh, all is said and done. So God bless Bobby Heaton playing the long game, I guess. Can I go ahead and say that he was a better manager for the Horsemen than J.J. Dillon, or am I going to get shot in, in some kind of internet space if I say that? <laughs> I mean, uh, I don't know if it's fair to say. I feel like a lot of the uh, true prime horsemen is uh, out of our vision, but yeah. uh, it may be true. I don't, I've never been overly taken with J.J. Dillon, so t- to my mind, it is not blasphemous. You know, <laughs> I'm I like Bobby Heenan, and for some re- there are reasons I don't like J.J. Dillon, so I, that was just an offhanded comment. But it does, it, it, it's an amazing thing that he had the Brain Busters for five minutes in WWF, and he had Ric Flair for seven minutes. And he hit the tag titles and world title with, like, three-fourths of the horsemen. Yeah, no, it's, it's very impressive, for sure. Uh, I love it, absolutely. Um, but as we've learned, when you actually go back and you unearth things, sometimes they're different than you expect, so I won't discount J.J. Dillon out of hand. No, absolutely not. I, I say a lot of things that I think people probably would be like, oh, he's so fucking blah, 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 but, like, <laughs> I'm not always serious. Like, I'm just throwing things out there, you know, this is actually sometimes my teaching pedagogy is when students won't engage, just say something ridiculous enough that somebody will have like a reaction. And then we start having dialogue, which then the point is to get to dialogue. That's great. I love that. Yeah. So I also love Je- We co- coming back and Jesse Ventura is sitting in the King's chair. He is. Yes. It is a match for the uh, King of the WWF, that crown and uh, Ventura wonders if he should run for king, possibly as well. So a little mixed message about how you get this crown, but here yes. we go. It's also the sickness of probably everybody that holds office in the United States because oh the fact that he he will become the future governor. And like you don't run for king, but you know the fact that he probably then assumes that what you run for makes you a king and all of that. It's just like, okay, run for king and run for governor. And I think they all are running for king when they run for anything. <laughs> So, I'd like to see all, Yeah, go ahead. I was just gonna say sad but true. Yeah, I'd like to see a whole episode in the '80s from Jesse Ventura's interiority. <laughs> <laughs> I think he would bring one of the most interesting perspectives for sure. Because I do think, like, in his mind, like sincerely, like the the star of this '80s era was either Hulk Hogan or Jesse Ventura. You know. <laughs> So I would just love to see a show where he's not even paying attention when Hogan's in the ring and he's like, well, how do I need to be posed? They're looking at me like, does my arm need to be up here? Do I need to flex the tricep? You know, everybody's watching. Got all this pressure being the Hulk Hogan of this era, you know. Oh, my. I love Ventura, though. Man, that is Say, God bless him for being in the booth because we would not have that conversation. Like, it would become very clear quickly, I think, if he were in the ring. So. Yes, absolutely. Uh, this here... This is a rumble where I don't love everything before the rumble, but I am in love with the matchup that we're about to call, which is Haku versus King, uh, former King Harley Race. Yeah, this is where I took a big step up uh, in terms of the matches themselves. Uh, it's a weird one because, yeah, Harley Race, he came back from surgery. He was still around. We saw him associating with Heenan at uh, maybe Survivor Series, I think. Uh, but here, yeah, he's run into conflict with him. Uh, the question is sort of like, did Heenan throw race in the garbage by giving his crown away while he was out injured. Um, and the idea is like, well, Heenan will just manage whoever wins this match. So they're still both kind of heels, but Harley race maybe is not into that. 
but also he's not going to win, so we're never going to see, like, that possibility play out, and I think after this, Harley race is gone, so there's, like, weird things going into the match, but you just sit down, and it's Harley race versus Haku, and if you don't know that that's going to be really good, then I don't know what to tell you. Oh, my God. There's so much beautiful about this match. Before we jump into it, I will say, ever since, like, the whole selling Hercules into slavery thing, I've been seeing more. Like, I like to think of Bobby as the brain, but I definitely have been seeing more of the weasel uh, side of him lately. And so we find out in this matchup that with Hercules, at least allegedly, he takes 85, 85% of your earnings. <laughs> Oh, yes. A very recurring talking point is that Heenan is uh, relentlessly fleecing everyone that works for him Ooh. and just uh, taking huge chunks of their contract. So, so yeah, we've talked about Heenan being supportive of his people, and sometimes he is, but there's also some ways, like you said, the weasel. I mean, it doesn't exist for no reason. Yeah, I get it with Terry Taylor. Like, you got to get the money, and probably 85% is the only thing making it worthwhile, but man. I don't think Andre the Giant signed that contract, but, I, you know, who knows? Well, they always had a unique uh, relationship, so yes. I, I don't think that's happening over there. This right here is, I, I said at the bottom of my notes, like, I have never been a person, like, if you think about, like, uh, Bigfoot or any of that kind of stuff, like, you know, somebody being excited about there's this thing that might or may or may not exist, and even if it did the best I could ever do is catch a glimpse of it, but that search and that glimpse and that seeing would make the whole thing worthwhile. This fucking match was Bigfoot for me, and it was worth waiting for it to get the glimpse. Mm-hmm. Nice. I love that. <laughs> These are two hardcore heels. Like, two awful, awful, like, brutal competitors. But they get to be vying to be king in an era where heels almost get nothing and freaking Haku is carried out on that thing, but he's not sitting down. He is standing up while they're carrying him out. I've not seen that. That is beautiful. And Harley Race is downtrodden, but he's still Harley Race, so he has a chance. This is this is everything you could hope for uh, from these two in 19, as far as 1989. Sure, yeah. I mean, 1989 puts some limitations on it with Harley. Like I said, I think this is pretty much the end of the road for him minus that one weird Tommy Rich match he'll have in WCW but um yeah he still does very well he's still bumping all over the place like crazy person uh, at the start of this he comes out and like throws Haku off the throne um yeah they have some really good stuff in here between them I enjoyed this a lot yeah it is stiff it again begins like we said Haku is standing up on that platform while he's being carried uh, Gorilla says Look at the look on his face. Is he happy with himself? Because God forbid you be happy. But Harley Race flips that thing. There's four guys carrying it. Harley Race flips it. And so you got the, the, the platform is down. There are four people. There's Haku. And that's where the matchup starts, in the middle of all of that. Yeah, no, it's chaotic in the best way. And, uh, you know, not for nothing, these two guys have the reputation of being probably the two toughest guys ever in the wrestling yes. business. So you know they're not going to hold back on each other here. No, nah, they don't. You can see, like, some of the punches to the face of Haku, some of the head butts. There's a chop outside that legit sounds like a gunshot, not, like, just saying it. You know, so it's it's so good. The suplex is like, Harley Race does everything the hard way. Like, his suplex is like, don't, I think he's like, the command is, like, be stiff as a board and don't give me anything and let me put it in. I'm still going to get you over it. Yeah, no, they're very rough. Uh, I couldn't live without those headbutts. I've seen a few too many yeah. uh, of those. Harley Race will later 
deeply regret all the headbutting he did in his career, but even so, you know, it certainly shows how tough these guys are. Yeah, I agree with that. We talked about that with Daniel Bryan, with Chris Benoit, with others. It's just, I don't understand the point, at this, at this, especially at this point. Absolutely, yeah. There's never a match I saw that wouldn't have been uh, just as good without headbutts in it, but... Uh, even so, you know, this is this is a really good match. I enjoyed this a lot. I'm glad we got it. It's sort of a weird curiosity, but it totally works for me. Yeah. The Harley Race is swinging in the ropes at one point, like upside down, up, front side up, just swinging in between <laughs> the ropes. God bless him. He's he's 46, and actually I, I would have thought he was even older, but, um, yeah. you know, he's, he's very uh, – he's giving it his all out there. He's doing a great job. You might could have told me he was 66, and I... Uh, you know. <laughs> he seems the type that could still do this stuff at 66. I don't think that turned out to be the case. But you'd think, just from, like, his aura of toughness. That's sad, though, because... Like, in 93, or maybe even 91, he looks like... And maybe it's just the clothes, but I don't think so. He looks like he's shrunk a foot, and, like, he just looks completely different, like, as a manager, so... And that's 80, this is 89. He's managing Luger in two years. And Vader yeah. in four. Very true. Very true. Yeah, uh, Harley Race definitely um, paid the price, I think, for uh, for his wrestling style and for uh, the, the the toughness that he had. Um, and that's, uh, that's just how it goes sometimes, unfortunately. Yeah. Haku will ultimately catch him with a thrust kick with Harley Race running full speed into it. And Haku will get the victory and will remain the king after this beautiful matchup. He will, and he earned it. He earned every bit of it. He is the king. King Haku. I love Haku. We talked a lot about Harley Race, but man, I love Haku so much. He's got a lot more that he gets to do before we're done here. I love just how special. Because, like, so many people are just put into these. Like, the whole headbutton thing is partly the absurdity of these gimmicks that come out, you know, and Haku is going to at times have gimmicks that are just going to be like, to me, quite frankly, beneath him. Mm. And you know what gimmick is not beneath him is the king. And I love it because number one, someone that looks like Haku, quite frankly, is not going to be king most of the time in this era. Mm. And then number two, someone who is supposed to wrestle like Haku and just not have feelings and not care about anything and then watching him standing on that platform when he comes out, I don't know what it is, but man, that, that's probably top three in this whole Royal Rumble to me is just watching him come out. He's, he's uniquely King Haku, and I love every bit of it. Absolutely. And King Haku, uh, among Haku's top looks as well, I think, uh, maybe only second to Sunglasses Haku with the chair yeah. broken over his head. So. Yeah. <laughs> and also, again, if 94, like, I will never trade like Hogan coming in because of what it did for wrestling and what it did for the NWO, WCW. But if that 94 had popped off the way it did, which looks like 88, 89 NWA, and Haku had been like in the world title picture, I think that would have been the only time that would have lifted him above kind of where he is right now. Oh, man. That would have been beautiful. So I think we're going to the back again, but I'm not sure. Oh, we are. You mentioned this already. We get uh, a lot of rapid-fire promos. We get one that's not very rapid, and that's from uh, Brutus Beefcake, who is perving oh. around backstage. Um, <laughs> this guy. So he's talking about he's going to be the last man to survive. It seems like he's talking about his scissors. So I'm like, 
is he going to stab everyone and be the last man to survive? No, okay. Instead, he says, no, my tools are my meat slabs. His mm. words, not mine. So I'm like, okay, well, he's just going to punch everyone, I guess, and that's how he's going to survive. But no, I spoke too soon because he also promises to have scissors in his boot. So I'm back to thinking he's going to stab everyone, and I wouldn't put it past him because he's a freaky, weirdo, pervert, bad person. Yes. He frames this whole promo. He would have gotten an F in any class, any composition <laughs> course, because he frames it at the beginning that – he always carries the tools of his trade. What do you think they are? Scissors. And then he holds up his fist. And I'm like, okay, you're actually going to pass this composition class because you surprised me. And for one time, it was not the scissors. And that's now the whole point of the promo. And then, and then it ends with, and I might have a pair, a pair of scissors in my boots. <sighs> Didn't we just, you know, and then added that he's got like two or three accents. Like his voice doesn't even sound the same all the time. Fucking Zodiac Man is out of his mind. And then he does the JJ, Double J, Jeff Jarrett laugh after a few sentences, which is becoming to me the telltale sign that you don't have charisma and you need to do a thing that makes it look like you're doing a thing. So the whole thing is an abomination, an abomination, F minus. You need to retake the class, but uh, my class will be full, so please take it with another professor. (laughs) Oh, that was beautifully said. Yeah, what a mess. <laughs> what a mess. Uh, he's, he is followed by someone much superior in Greg the Hammer Valentine, who also has fists, but he makes it clear that his fists were actually, like, is what the hammer is. He doesn't need weapons. These are the hammers, and he's going to be bringing them uh, with him. Yeah, he specifically says he doesn't need to bring an axe or scissors, so everyone's yes. on to your weird uh, thing, beefcake. Oh, beefcake. Ah. Oh. Okay, all right. <laughs> nice. Uh, I just thank God that Hacksaw didn't carry an axe after this. <laughs> or God, beefcake nice. Jesus, don't suggest an axe. <laughs> Although, uh, if we had an axe, we might have Big Josh, so that could be, uh, yeah. That, now, Big Josh in WWF with the Dancing Bears might have looked different. He should have, yeah, he could have been perfect, you know, for this time and place. I almost wish he'd come here instead of the other place, but oh well. Yeah, Absolutely. Uh, powers of Pain, the second time we get Fuji in the Powers of Pain. Uh, he says there's going to be one winner in me, which is like very de- demotivating, I would imagine, right before you go out and have to wrestle 30 people as the actual wrestler involved. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and again, you want to talk about a composition of your uh, promos and sentences. Like, I assume sitting here that he meant like one of his guys will win and that will make him the winner. But just the way he says it, it sounds like he's going to like run in the ring and win it for himself or something like his delivery is very strange. Yeah. Uh, you would at least have to ask afterward, like, <laughs> okay, when you said that, did you mean, and maybe said, don't point at yourself or maybe acknowledge that oh, there are two people in the room during this or don't have them in there. Like I really was confused about your motivation here for this conversation. <laughs> Big John Studd is next. This is just some random guy. Uh, he'll make a he'll make a big return, but he won't win it. So <laughs> you'd think, by modern logic, um, he's been gone for two years. He says he's been doing hard training. Uh, this is not mm. the case, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> he declares that Heenan will not be in his corner. So I don't really remember. Like he came back and Heenan kind of like greeted him to come back, and he was like, no screw you and just like mm. 
that was mean. You know, this is the guy yeah. who uh, he got you on the first WrestleMania card the first night. Heenan was in the WWF. He got Big John Studd a title shot. So that's that's gratitude for you, I guess. Yeah. So maybe you see partly why Heenan takes eighty five percent. Right. Yeah, because you're gonna come back and try to screw him later. You know. So there you go. Sorry, Stud. Yeah. This is a man who desperately needs a manager. <laughs> yeah. No kidding. It's and a so belt. Weird. I don't know <laughs> if they thought they were gonna be able to do more with him or what, because like certainly they like a guy of his size. Um, to be around, but even so, like, I don't know, it's just very strange. I don't know what the point of it was. I have to imagine the idea was they were going to do more with him. Yeah, I mean, it would have to be, because he's not going to be around very long. Because even with Hacksaw winning it, we know Hacksaw kind of was a guy who was always in consideration, was always steady. Yeah. So, I don't think they would just give 89 to Big John Stud just for the heck of it. Yeah, yeah. Mr. Perfect declares this the year of perfection. Uh, he says that he will tip big men over and he'll throw out the short men. I did not remember. It took him so long to get his right gear and to kind of like yeah. get his whole act together. So love Mr. I feel like he's not wearing clothes. <laughs> right. Yeah. He just looks really wrong in the short trunks. Yeah. He needs the singlet. It, like everybody else is wearing clothes, man. <laughs> you know, if that's your gimmick, fine. But otherwise, put something on, buddy. <laughs> no, that's beef. But, you know, though. it's also the dudes that get paid because... Like this guy, you can already tell he's so good, but it feels like he has no protection or guarantee from this company right now. Yeah, no, very true. Very true. Uh, macho Man Randy Savage. Freak, freak out, freak out. out. Freak <laughs> out. Oh, man, yeah. No, Savage is getting back into his element after sort of having a weird year. Um, he, he says, no partners, every man for himself. So uh, here we have a, a nice bit of dialogue where Savage is sort of preemptively saying but not saying that uh, he's not going to have any friends, any partners in this match. And uh, if you read between the lines, I think uh, it's an interesting little statement. This is very similar to the last time I think we saw him when he, yeah, when he was pretty much saying, I come here with a strategy and I'm here to watch. And I have made a decision pre, he says, I didn't become the WWF champion by letting big things slide by. Yeah, You can take that, yeah, take that a lot of different ways, but I think that he has already made the decision in his mind that at some point he's coming for Hulk Hogan. Yeah, no, I think he had decided that on the last show already. Um, yeah. We'll see more signs of it, but uh, it will just, it's one of those, like he's decided, but it's also a plan that he knows he could still step back from, I think. Yeah. Uh, and maybe he's waiting for a sign that he should do that. He is not going to get it on this show, so... Yeah, if he's looking for anybody involved in his life to give him a reason, he he can keep on looking. <laughs> it's not happen. Like oh wow! Every conversation that he's having, I feel like, is with himself. So every time we see him, he's further down a road where the only person he consult consulted about it was himself. Absolutely, he's going down that lonely road that we talked about before. But uh, he's mm. not feeling he's not feeling those pangs this time, so it's not so poignant. Yeah, it's. I don't even know how to talk about what's going to happen, so I'm looking forward to when we get to it. But it's more just nuanced and slow build. Like, they are not giving everything away immediately in the storyline. Absolutely not. Now, this is one of the greatest slow builds of all time, and I think the more you watch it, the more you realize that that is the case. Like, it's just layered so deeply with different uh, nuances and different little bits that you can pick out and uh, appreciate. Yeah. 
He's also he says, you know, on the top of the mountain, I feel alone now. I'm I'm used to being number one. Mm. You know, I made a comment, I think, a hundred years ago, where Hulk Hogan sneaked in a line that he was still pretty much at the top of the the top of the food chain while Savage was standing next to him as world champion. Oh boy. You know. And this is the whole story. Randy Savage, six months later, is responding to what Hulk Hogan was baking into the cake six months ago. Sure, yeah. I, I think, um, you know, some people in the forums are talking, well, did Savage ever really uh, turn face at all? And um, you can think what you like, but I think he did. I think he sincerely tried to make this work at one point, and uh, it all sort of started falling apart. You know, Savage wearing the tag team gear and Hogan not bothering and we have uh, all the stuff with Liz and we have everything we've talked about so I think he did really want to make this work at one point and um, you know just uh, the stars didn't align or uh, the person wasn't who he thought he was or whatever you want to say but uh, we're definitely getting past that point now yeah it's such a complicated conversation because first my first question would be how do we how do we define a heel or a face so you know, what makes anyone a heel or a face in this era? So I would need to know that plane to know. Um, I know that he aligned himself with Hulk Hogan. I know that he at least espoused like some of the uh, virtues that go with that narrative and that side of the line. Uh, it's so hard to say because what what is the argument maybe that he jumped on board in order to protect himself or elevate himself? You know, because... What favor does it do him again at WrestleMania when he hasn't even won the world title to be giving some ridiculous speech about Hulk Hogan being screwed and pretty much Hulk Hogan being the rightful winner of the tournament? Mm-hmm. Like, what does that do for him? Like, that that seems unnecessarily good to be doing and not productive. So I'm not sure what the conversation is exactly. I need to understand it better. I agree. It's moments like that which convinced me that Savage uh... – you know, regardless of how you define face and heel, like he had uh, some kind of change of heart, some kind of change of character in that period um, that was uh, sincere, you know, and was not just uh, affected to maybe sidestep Hulk Hogan or whatever you want to think his goal might have been. So, uh, so yeah, I, I, I think uh, there was something sincere on the part of the Macho Man, and um, yeah. it's just falling apart now. I think Savage is, if anything, he is sincere to a fault. Sure, yeah. Um, so I don't understand how this would... Because if you really want to dig into it, you might want... Like, I don't know if I would have ever made this case, but maybe he's easily influenced in a way. Like, he, he's so strong in what he is, and yet I see him both in his stubbornness, in his aloneness, looking for Liz... And wanting her to make certain moves, looking for Hulk Hogan and wanting him to make certain moves. I believe that from what I'm watching, it is Hulk Hogan the entirety of this time that really has the power to keep sanctification on Randy Savage. And I think Savage, there's a pleading on Randy Savage's, just let me be a good guy and let me be world champion as long as I can. If I lose the belt to a heel, like, I'll probably never get it back and you'll be world champion. But would you please... Just not ruin it while I have it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there is an element of that for sure. And I will say, as far as um, Randy Savage, is definitely like to me, he's like a hard on his sleeve wrestler. Like there are a lot of uh, emotionally vulnerable moments with Savage mm-hmm. that you could pick out through the course of his career. And I don't think, off the top of my head, I can't really think of any moments where Randy Savage tried to deceive 
anybody else about himself. Like, he is very much out in the open. He is very much, uh, like, he is who he is. There's not really any subterfuge with this guy face or heel. He is, uh, usually burning too brightly to conceal his light at all. Yeah, I agree with that. I was trying to think, is there a moment? And also, I don't, this era has motion in a way that some eras don't. Like, it doesn't seem like people are just being booked into things and they're not agents. These, these people are agents. And to be swept up into the world of Hulk Hogan is something that is so rare. To find yourself as the face of the brand, when Saturday Night's main event pops on, it's you with Liz on your shoulder. It's not Hulk Hogan. Like, I don't think anyone could even plan like what is happening right now is so beyond it. You're going to see shoot interviews from everybody else on the roster eventually who would be like, oh, I should have been the world champion. But you never were going to be the world champion. And Randy Savage was likely never going to be the world champion. And then he fucking became the world champion. And so I think in a way he's in over his head. He will never say he's in over his head. He knows that his best friend and almost the person who vouches for his baby face stature is also the one who can take it away and is actively taking it away. Mm. So, I don't know. He might be a million things, but I don't think it's insincere as one of them. No, I don't think so. The only, occasionally in his career, there'll be a question of like, what is Randy Savage going to do? And I don't think that is Savage hiding anything. I think it's the fact that Savage himself doesn't always know what he's going to do. Before he does it, you know, this is a guy who is in constant flux, who is in constant state of change. And, uh, and yeah, you know, his whole relationship with Hogan is so volatile here and everywhere that, um, yeah, I don't, I don't think you can say he was trying to fool Hulk Hogan. Um, the closest you can come maybe is his sarcastic comments at the last show when uh, he was talking about Hogan being hurt Maybe you can make a case for that, but that to me is something different. Yeah, we're in a different world now than we were. Uh, that's an excellent analysis. He Hulk Hogan goes to WCW. Randy Savage follows. Randy Savage makes the announcement, I'm going to stand in front of Hulk Hogan, and I'm either going to shake his hand or slap him in the face. <laughs> yeah, think, it's not like yeah. he knew in his mind which one of those things it would be. You know, I really don't think so. I think he's like, I'm going to get in the moment. And I know I'm going to do one of those things, but God help me, I have no idea which one. So, you know, I'm going to have to follow uh, my felt sense at that moment. It's hard, man. Like when the when kind of the person who in some ways got you into this new room, this new door, this new space is also the one who's going to let you know that he got you in there and that he can take it away and he is going to take it away. I don't know what like I know what Hulk Hogan can do. He's got lots of options here. Liz has some options. We're at a point that I don't know if Randy Savage has options anymore. Right. And he's bankrupt. Like, all he can do is react. And again, like, there's going to be a, a moment in this Royal Rumble that is going to shock me. I don't even know. 99, 09, 19, over 30 years later. And we'll get to it. And maybe Miz fan will probably likely uh, straighten me out on my thinking and help me understand. <laughs> but, again, it's just these moments where people do things and I'm like... I still don't fully understand all the motives and what's going on here. That's how rich this storyline is. Mm, very, very rich indeed. And at the end of this promo chain, we're going to get another piece of this Hogan Savage puzzle. And to me, it's one of the most important pieces we've gotten so far. 
Yes. So we go to Teddy Biasi, who is now super happy. Uh, as Ms. Fan said, he, he just, uh, purchased a number, like two numbers down the line and now all will be well in the world. I was said, Teddy Biasi needs to stop being such a tryhard. It would be my advice. <laughs> Expand on that. I want to know more about that. Not just being like, if he came in at number 23, I guess, was his number, and he lasted to the final four, final three, that's a, that's a great outing. If he openly buys a number from someone because he's only want to come in number three and 23 and comes in number 30, and he still can't win the Royal Rumble, like he's continually making himself look worse for the effort that he's making. And if he would ever just take all of this energy and actually try to win a thing, I think he's got the talent to do it. But like all the energy seems to be going to any, to anything except trying to actually win the thing that he is competing in. <laughs> you know, one of my favorite kind of heels though is the kind of heel where you know like if you played it straight, you'd probably be as successful as anyone and yet you're actually getting in your own way by uh, yeah. trying to take all these different paths. So, um if I were trying to uh, advise Ted DiBiase sincerely, I would be with you, but as a fan, I, I love to see this kind of thing. I agree. Like that's what makes them rich characters. And again, this era, they can't help themselves. Bobby Heenan is going to be Bobby Heenan. Hulk Hogan is going to be Hulk Hogan. Ted DiBiase is going to be Ted DiBiase. For it's sure. just the way it is. Yeah. And I think even though he does lose, I think he's still going to like. It's going to be just like a point of pride, anyway. It's like, well, my money like disrupted the rumble. You know, I was able to buy a place for myself when people said I couldn't do that. So basically, he won anyway. You know, he proved again. That money could just like uh, change the world for him. Yeah, it's such a thing that too. How many people in their lives, like we're talking about perception and reality. Either something brought you to the dance, or you perceive it that way. And then so for twenty years, like it's gonna be like try to do that thing that worked that one time. That worked that one time. Try to do that thing that worked that one time. Oh, man. You know, <laughs> we, we we are creatures of habit. We are creatures of narratives. We are creatures of perception. And this is what Ms. Fan and I, we, have, we we praised this from the beginning, is that all of them seem to have kind of this one core thing, and yeah, they can get outside the box, but we usually find them right back at that core thing again. <laughs> Indeed. I love what you said about, like, you, you keep trying that one thing that worked. It puts me in mind of uh, Ric Flair, famously, always tries to go to the top rope and always gets thrown mm-hmm. off, but what people forget is he won one of his first world titles with a top rope crossbody. So sometimes, man, you get hooked on something, and you're just trying to get back to that one moment when it worked so perfectly. That is beautiful. That is beautiful. And that is flair, too, because even the figure four, how many times do you get inside cradled? How many times do you get kicked to the turnbuckle? When you put it on, people don't actually submit. They turn you over, you know. <laughs> and that's, in a way, like you think about Bret Hart, who is going to be a great technician, but he's also kind of limited in his mindset. And his big critique of Flair is like, oh, he's always doing the same thing. But there's also something, you know, he's also retired now. and He's probably spending money when he shouldn't, you know, Ric Flair means always doing the same thing, whether it's successful or not. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. I have a new uh, fantasy booking. When I saw Bobby Heenan and the Brain Busters and Andre, I want my Andre the Giant versus Arn Anderson match now. Oh, God, wouldn't have that been great? All these matches we see, I'm still, I always think about Lex Luger and Vader also, you know, these mm. matches which we should have should have been able to see at some point. We're never going to get the chance, but man, God, can you think of what Arn would have done with that whole situation? Um, I love this little bit. It's actually one of my favorite little bits on the show because uh, 
Keenan is there with the Brain Busters and with Andre. Heenan says, we're ready for anything. Tully, Tully is like, I think we're standing here with the winner. He's like ready to, uh, to praise Andre, basically. And they're kind of standing behind him. And then Andre takes over and he's like, you know, no matter what, when I go into the ring, I'll be the last man out. And he's threatening everyone. He even threatens the Brain Busters. And in one of yeah. my favorite little moments, after he does that, Arn and Tully, they don't have a big reaction, but you just see Arn leans over. He whispers in Tully's ear, and Tully kind of gives him a look like, really? And Arn's like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yep. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, boy, what are these guys? Like, these guys have a contingency yeah. plan to take out Andre. I think they do, you know? Like, they'll praise him here, but, man, if it comes down to it, I bet they know exactly what to do to take this guy apart. <laughs> so I, don't, I love that moment. It's so great. It is so beautifully. When we talk about... Bret Hart or Mr. Perfect or Shawn Michaels doing something in the ring on this night that's just like, oh, well, that's authentic. Like, it goes that extra mile. This is the character version of that because Arn is behind, like, totally is lined up with Andre. Arn is behind them. And yet, Andre is going crazy. He's going to knock them all out, even including them. And Arn, like he said, just whispers in Tully's ear. I think he whispers, yeah, I'm going to hit him with a spine buster and you're going to put him in the, slings, uh, the slingshot suplex. And then Tully's like, oh, okay. All right, Arn. Calm down. <laughs> but you know Something, what? You, you, you know, I don't know. Like, it could be that. I've seen, like, seen it over. He says, this guy comes for us. Let's just take his knees apart, you know, and mm. then we'll see what happens. It's something. Like, they got a plan. They got a plan. Oh, man. He ain't, he ain't Nate. He ain't Nate. I love Arn and Tully. I love Tully, too. We talk a lot about Arn because he's kind of, like, more in the conversation. Uh, yeah. And Tully's not, and there's a sad reason for that that we're going to cover a little later on it's uh, very shady actually but uh these two guys just just were together on dynamite just doing a promo in the ring with uh with the rock and roll express and some other guys and man they they were still great together so these two they're brilliant i, I love both these guys yeah i saw an image of that it's something you know these guys matter and they'll always matter Absolutely. you know they, uh now we take notes through all of this so try to spell andre without spelling arn <laughs> can't do it i think it. No. i think arn anderson may have hit this man's number and and, and i it's, it's a weird moment where i feel like andre is lucky that he didn't run into arn i think i honestly think that arn had some secret i don't know if it would have played out well but i think arn had a secret I, he definitely had some kind of plan there's no doubt in my mind about that so plans upon plans that's what these guys have <laughs> okay miss fan alluded Gene Arkland is with Hulk Hogan, and oh my God. Oh boy, it's all coming out in the open here in this promo. Ooh. So yes, Hulk Hogan is empowered by the presence of Gene Okerlund, the number one Hulkamaniac. He <laughs> says the Hulkamaniacs will see this match as the resurrection of Hulkamania, although he also says Hulkamania is already alive and well. <laughs> and then he promises a lifelong sentence of Hulkamania to his opponents, so Hulkamania can just be anything, I guess, that Hogan wants it to be. Oh, boy. He says the little hoaxers will watch his back. Oakland uh, grills him as well. What will you do if you have a collision with Randy Savage? And here's where it all comes out. Because Hulk Hogan, who up to this point, I would say, has at least been subtle about his uh, actions and feelings. Here, Hulk Hogan says he feels sorry for Randy Savage if they get in the ring together. And he says flat out that he is still the champion in the eyes of the fans. And this is the most overt declaration by far we have had by Hulk Hogan, who here is essentially, in my eyes, just hurling his partner 
under the bus and making it clear once and for all, like, you are my little buddy. You know, you are less than me. I feel sorry for you. This alone should have triggered Randy Savage, I think, to uh, complete his turn. If it is not, in fact, a heel turn by Hulk Hogan. Because you don't talk about your friends this way. Yes. Holy crap. This is this is a huge piece of the puzzle right here. Yeah, another era. This is a heel turn in itself. <laughs> um, sure. I think that Savage has already turned heel in his mind in this. And like you said, I think you know. I'm not saying that he's not open to all of a sudden everything being different than what he's perceived it to be. But I think in the argument between Randy Savage and Randy Savage's paranoia, I think paranoia is at 99 percent, and Randy Savage is at one percent now. <laughs> And now you got this interview and the first five words when it turns, I feel sorry for him. To me, that runs so deep because it is I think he's saying two things there. He's saying I feel sorry for him because he's inferior and he's not Hulk Hogan and he'll never be Hulk Hogan. And I honestly think there's a little bit of I feel sorry for him, you know, because there's only one belt and there's only one spot. And that's why it's always belonged to the same person. And like, I don't want to do this to him, but. I can't help the fact that authentically speaking, he's never been the world champion. He's never been the top baby face. And so if we want to say, was Randy Savage always a heel? I think the closest answer to yes might be that most of the fan base are Hulkamaniacs and that he tried to be a baby face and he tried to be the world champion. And like Hulk Hogan says, they, that they never like the fans. Randy, whew, Randy Savage was not deceiving the fans, but there is now a strong possibility that the fans along with Hulk Hogan and maybe others were deceiving Randy Savage. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Yeah. Randy Savage, I, I definitely agree in his mind. The paranoia you said was spot on. I think uh, he is ready now to fight Hulk Hogan at any moment, but I still have a feeling that like it's in flux. Like this is something which potentially might never materialize if the right things happen. But boy, was the right thing not for Hulk Hogan to come out <laughs> And just treat Randy Savage like a piece of shit. So, holy crap. Like, I don't know how you come back from this moment. I don't know how you stand next to Hulk Hogan again after he says these words. Like, to me, this is a rift that cannot be healed again. I agree. He's so dirty with it. I feel sorry for him. Yes, he's a partner. Yes, we're guided by the same manager. But who rules? Who is the real champion I've never been beat it, beaten. I'm still called the champ by the Hulkamaniacs. Uh, and it's almost like all of it's bad, but I almost like we're guided by the same manager. Yes. Man, that's not your manager. You just got here. Why yes. do you have to own everything? You got to own his manager. You got to own his championship. You got to own everything because it's all about you, freaking Hulk Hogan. This is why all your friends attack you because you're <laughs> like this. This is your fault. You are the common denominator. Oh, my God. I've been trying. Right, so a hypothesis felt since guess 100 years ago was for Randy Savage to be a babyface champion. I said maybe Elizabeth instead of the fans or the Hulkamaniacs to this. Like that's the drawing. So Hulk Hogan is telling him. Not only were the fan base, the Hulkamaniacs that you thought were yours, not only were they never with you, but I've also taken your version of that as well. Like, nothing is yours. Everything that you thought was authentic is inauthentic. You didn't do anything wrong except for you're not Hulk Hogan. And unfortunately, that disqualifies you from everything around you. Uh, Yep, yep. 
the privilege of Hulk Hogan is just, uh, it's unbearable. I don't know how anyone could stand next to this guy and not come after him sooner or later. This is the, the this is challenger Hulk Hogan, right? He's not world champion. And this is a man, oh God, Andre, don't do it, who suggested, like, you know, maybe give me a title shot or pretend like, like I'm a worthy contender. And that turned Andre the giant heel. But listen to the rhetoric of challenger, challenger, Hulk Hogan to his best friend, Randy Savage. Oh, man. It's funny because we've always talked about when when Hogan is champion, he acts like a challenger, like he goes out and seeks these conflicts and uh, he's the pursuer. And it's funny because uh, when he is the challenger, he basically says, well, I'm still the champion anyway. So, like, he can be all things at all times because he's Hulk Hogan, I guess. And I think if you want to talk about character... The time to be the most humble might be when what you actually could say would actually be true. Mm. And I think what hurts the worst, find a word in his commentary that's not true. Mm. So if your best friend who's carried the world title in your absence has already proven that likely he's never going to get over with the fan base at the level you're going to get over, that Elizabeth herself doesn't know who she would rather manage, you know – Maybe go the other way and be like, you know what, buddy, I got the boss man and he's done some things that I've never seen before. My hands are full. Randy Savage is the heavyweight champion. Whatever happens in the ring happens because the better man's going to win whoever that is on this night. But I've got my hands full and Randy Savage is busy being the world champion. Why not say that? Right. Like you've already won without a battle. But then you've got to drag it out in public. Like you have you have you 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 have paralyzed this man in his mind, in his wrestling, in his identity. Like you've stripped him of the world title with the belt still around his waist. Now you want to identify the fact that the whole run might have been inauthentic. Like is there any place for grace in these like three commandments? Like train, say your prayers, take your vow. I guess not. But man, a little bit of grace and a little bit of mercy and a little bit of humility, like I know that I know that like Hulkamania is borrowed from scripture, but scripture also has grace and mercy and humility. How about work a little bit of that into the narrative? Mm. <sighs> yes, yes. Oh man, there's uh, what what else can you say about all this? Hogan and Savage, you know what a poisoned relationship, and now it's just uh, it's done. You can't put it back together. You cannot. I think that that is the, you know, whatever's going on in Savage's mind. Hulk Hogan, things don't go on in Hulk Hogan's mind. They come, they come out of his mouth. So <laughs> we don't have to guess where he is. And oh, again, you would think, you would think, with Hulk Hogan saying that, with Randy Savage behaving how he's behaving, that the moment they hit the ring, at the same time that the Mega Powers are over. Yeah, I mean, after what Hogan said, you'd think that it easily could have been. It's not going to be the case. So. I don't know if that's a, a credit to Randy Savage or uh, just uh, an effect of the circumstances. I don't know, but definitely notice how Hogan, you know, he could have said some of this at the last show when Savage didn't come out to help him. But uh, to your mm. point, you know, he waits for a certain time. So, uh, yeah. you know, this can be moved to WrestleMania. He waits uh, till Randy Savage is not there, till Liz is not there. Um, you know, mm. he, he definitely picks his spots uh, when he <laughs> says the things that he says. He absolutely does, and you know, there's nobody more genius. Like I think, 
I think he's doing this in a lot of ways because he just wants the top money and the top bill and the, everything that comes with it. But man, you know that he's a guy. He knows how to draw. He knows what WrestleMania needs to be. He and but my my thing out of that is just because you can does not mean you should. And I wish that he I wish he had adopted a little bit of that. Andre the Giant has to be watching and be like, "This is what I'm talking about. This guy's an asshole." <laughs> For sure. Paul Orndorff, wherever he is. Everyone else, yes. whoever was friends with Hogan. So, yeah. Oh, man. Okay. We're about to enter like one of the most unusual experiences of my life. There's no world title, but, the, but it's as important as if there is. And then we're going to get, you know, right, off the, right out of the gate, we're going to get some interesting pairings in this Rumble. Oh, we're going to. As far as the <laughs> first three goes yes it's hard to do better than what we get at the start here because number one number two axe and smash of demolition and they should probably work together but their name is demolition so they try to fight but then number three andre the giants you have andre and demolition in the ring together and man is beautiful for me this is beautiful this is yeah best three pairing maybe you could have and I love the demolition just instantly start beating each other up and they go at it and you have no feeling at all that they're going to take any of this personally at any point. Oh, sure. But their name is demolition. One is called Axe and one is called Smash. What else would they do? (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And Andre's coming in third, but he's going to be in for a while. And it's again, we talk about, oh, when did he deteriorate and all this, but he gave a lot of great performances along the way. He did, yeah. The, The... The story of Andre's deterioration is sort of exaggerated and sort of not, because, like, you watch what he could do in the past versus what he does now, and, yeah, there's a difference. Like, you'd be crazy to say there isn't, but as far as, like you said, giving a great performance goes, I don't know. Like, Andre wrestled, like, in Japan before he died, and I think maybe there you could say he was in too much pain to do anything, but, man, for me, in 1989, he's still giving great performances. There's really no doubt, in my opinion. Yeah, I've watched some of his longer matches, and it's like, yeah, cool, the big man can do this. But to me, he's all, like I've said this on the forums, he's, he's the rock of this era. Like, he's the good-looking, charismatic. Like, I just want to watch his face and see, like, the look on his face when things are happening in the ring. Like, that's enough for me. And, like, Demolition put him down immediately with one shot. They stomp him and kick him. And, like, I, I am just fascinated by Andre no matter what Andre is doing. Absolutely true. I don't know about good looking, but uh, I agree with oh, the rest of it. He's good looking, buddy. Have you not seen him in a suit in a while? I guess, but you know, <laughs> he dresses he'll be well. Back. His face scares me a little, but uh... <laughs> yes, <laughs> that too. <laughs> it, it, I don't know what it is. It's, it's some kind of charisma. Like the Rock is in kind of the same way. Like I'm not the biggest Rock fan, but I am open to having my mind changed because I kind of like him as a guy. But it's a thing that when they are who they are, post Rocky Maivia, when he is who he is, you kind of pay attention to everything that he do. So I don't know what you call that. It's an attraction. Maybe maybe he's not the best looking man. That's everybody. It's all individual taste. But you know, it's something. There's something magnetic about Andre the Giant, and I will that, not that step I, down from that. <laughs> well, that I strongly agree with. So we'll, okay. we'll put we'll put aside the question of handsome for the <laughs> okay. time. And, uh, yes, no, Andre, hugely charismatic, great performer uh, in every sense, absolutely so. And, yeah, I was surprised that uh, Demolition took Andre down, but I like it because too many times I think we see 
a tag team is just sort of like rolled over by one guy if they're big enough. But uh, there's no sense of that here with Andre. Like he's fighting probably the biggest tag team uh, in terms of star power in the whole division. And they, they do take him down. They pummel him. And uh, it's a great moment, I think. It's beautiful because it's shocking and it's not predictable. And then Andre comes back and Girl Monsoon has a great comment. Like Andre can get out of trouble in a hurry. <laughs> and boy, is that true. It's hard to keep a guy like Andre in trouble. You know, maybe you can get him in trouble. Maybe you can't. But if you do, like, he might just stand up and be out of trouble. Like, his head is too far away from the trouble to be reached anymore. <laughs> so. Yes. Oh, and man. something to watch in this, especially when he gets his hands on Jake, there's a, there's a theme there. But anytime he's kind of just doing what he wants to do and whooping somebody and someone else, like, like show, like, uh, double axe handle on your back, he just, like, swats them out of the storyline or out of the scene. <laughs> oh, man. Um, so very quickly after maybe number four, I don't remember, uh, very close in, Mr. Perfect shows yes. up. And here's another match that uh, I wish we could have seen is Mr. Perfect versus Andre the Giant. Because um, just the little bit we get here, man, Perfect was born to, like, bounce around for a guy like Andre, yes. I think. I I noted number one that I can't believe I'm during the same time frame. Like, it's just not working for me. And then number two, Andre will do, like, a, a punch, and Mr. Perfect will flip and turn inside out off of it, and it's, it's just fun to watch. It's a beautiful thing. I love Mr. Perfect. Love Kurt Hennig. Um Another guy coming in we see for the first time is uh, Ron Garvin. I'm I'm excited for this guy. Uh, they call him Hands of Stone, and uh, I'm a fan of a guy. He's kind of Greg Valentine-like. They're going to have a feud. Uh, it's just the kind of wrestler I like a lot. I love him laying into uh, Andre, giving him those big shots. Yeah, and Greg Valentine comes after, so he, and he joins in. So you got Garvin and uh, Valentine together with, some, I think, Axe. I think Smash has got you know, Tiles perfect. And it's just Andre versus the world for a moment. Yeah, it is. Like, the first portion of this rumble is very Andre-centric. I think it's a very good rumble because of that. Like, that's one of the uh, strong factors about it. And for for people like myself who I could watch a good match and I can say, okay, this is a good match for one, two, and three, but that's not my fandom. Mm. You know, there's got to be character and story for me to care along with it. So. I am watching this Rumble saying, like, it's a great Royal Rumble so far, but also, man, these characters, these stories, like you said, these they all have their own agendas, and, like, I don't always know who the heel's going to help and who they're not, you know. So it just fascinates me that you can, what happens, we, I don't know if it's just a sign of the times, but at best we have conversations. Like, are we going to have a company with character and story or, or great matches? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because you can't, you can't have both. God forbid. But you actually, yeah, you actually could if you wanted to. <laughs> you could, and uh, people have at many times. So never let them tell you that. But uh, yeah, no, I do love all the different motivations in here because you got Jake and like he cares more about Andre than winning. You have Andre who's like defending um, that he like never loses battle royals. Basically, he's got his own uh, agendas. You've got guys who do trust. Their stable mates and your friends, you guys who don't trust their stable mates and friends. You have guys uh, who are out there insulting their friends, like Hulk Hogan, and, uh, you know. Um, yeah. so you've got a lot of different factors and threads going into this. It's very nice, and, you know, adding the world title shot was important. It gave the match more gravitas. It gave it kind of a, a greater importance, and I'm a fan of that. But it does kind of put you in a place where, 
everyone just sort of wants the same thing. Um, and you lose a little something with that, I think. Yeah, you do. You also lose, like, theoretically, Greg Valentine could win this. Mr. Perfect sure. could win this. Shawn Michaels could win this. Like, ne- the first year is for the world title. None of them are winning it. Right, yeah. Like, there's a much uh, smaller number of people who could theoretically win the, the Royal Rumble after that. This is beautiful, man. Jake Roberts comes in and, like, Andre's on him oh, when man. he comes in. I love this feud. I love, listen to the reaction when Jake comes out. Yes. And that tells you the importance of character, of the importance of, like, the mechanics of wrestling. You know, I love a great mechanical wrestler, obviously, from some of the guys I like. But, man, Jake comes out to just about the biggest reaction in the match next to Hogan and uh, Savage. Gorilla Monsoon hits Vince McMahon levels by asking, what did Jake do to Andre? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Monsoon is um he's 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 uh got something in his bonnet tonight because he's got a lot of stuff. He's more on that Vince McMahon track than he usually is. Yeah. Oh, he got and then I think they even say, oh, he almost gave him a heart attack. It's not his fault that he's afraid of snakes. <laughs> yeah, uh, Monsoon uh, has excused people for more than that, definitely. Um, oh well. Uh, so Jake goes out pretty quickly, actually, which uh, makes total sense with what we're looking at. Um, and there's more to that story. But uh, before that, we get a little more action. We get Shawn Michaels in. And uh, there's a moment where he skins the cat, comes back, and uh, punches Mr. Perfect, who does a big bump. And I'm like, oh, okay, we got we got a view of the future here. Like, uh, you know, four years down the line, these two guys are going to be big, huge part of the company. Yeah, that that was awesome. Number one is in Texas, so Shawn Michaels is in his home state. Number two, uh, skinning the cat, like he's gonna win one of these rumbles by having one foot touch the floor and the other one not and pulling himself back in. So shades of things to come, and then like that uh, response and the way he excels. That's just a great sequence in this match. Great, great sequence. But here's one of my favorite things of the rumble. Here's one of the things that I thought of right away when I was looking at this because we get Jake coming back out. And he is not alone. He's got the snake. He throws Damien into the ring, and everyone just freaks out that this giant snake is suddenly in the match with them. And none freaks out more, of course, than Andre the Giant, who eliminates himself from the Battle Royale just to get away from this. I love the visual of this. I love the idea of it. I love the reaction of everybody. This this is great. This is perfect, in my opinion. I love this. Vulnerable Andre the Giant is one of the most, again, just magnetic, whatever he's doing, but mm-hmm. watching Andre flee is a thing to behold. Yeah. And I'll stress again, yeah. I again, think I said it before, I'm sure, like, no one could have made Andre do this stuff and do it so well. Yes. Like, he, obviously, he is willingly on board for this, willing to make himself look afraid, look vulnerable for the sake of this feud, and he is just stupendous at it. He's amazing, so... Huge props again to Andre the Giant. Are we going to get a match between these two? WrestleMania, my friend. We're coming up to it. I think I know very little about WrestleMania 5, so I'm glad. You know, And they're building again. This is what Jake Roberts knows. This is what Hulk Hogan knows. You start behaving a certain way when it gets to WrestleMania season, and those that know, know before there's a thing called WrestleMania season. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. I mean, people like this... They're kind of doing it all the time, but they're going to bring it up even more right now. Yeah, you know, I, 
He's got to know. Andre put a hurting on him pre-coming back into the Rumble with your snake. Mm. So uh, he's got to know partly what he's going to get, at least in, in, in part. But, you know, you're also going to get a WrestleMania matchup with Andre the Giant. So, you know, kudos on that. Absolutely. Uh, so this takes us to the end of the first leg of, uh, yes. of, of this Rumble. We soon enter the second leg, which is the Savage Hogan portion of the match. We get Savage out first. Huge pop for Savage, and he goes right after Bad News Brown, and we know why, and he's still wearing his sunglasses, his bandana, it's a huge brawl, I love this moment, incredible energy right here. Yeah, you you got praise in the notes this week, my friend, because (laughs) you could not have set us up any better with that promo and that matchup, because Savage goes right after Bad News Brown, the announcers let us know that we all know why this is happening. (laughs) <laughs> and I'm glad we checked it out because they don't really explain it too much, yeah. you know. I've seen this rumble before, and I think I didn't uh, even register that they were fighting like for a specific reason. But man, when you know, you know, because they go they go nuts on each other right here. They do. It's it's excellent stuff. It's again they play up Bad News Brown is the only guy in there who probably is gonna have no friends and no partners in it, you know. And I would argue again if there's a second person, <laughs> it's one half of the mega powers, Randy Savage. <laughs> Indeed, freak out every man for himself for sure. Um, we get uh, the Brainbusters are in; they're in there together, which is very nice. They do some great stuff. Uh, we get a beautiful Spinebuster on Marty Janetti, which is even like doubled up because as Janetti is still lying there and Arn is still like, <coughs> excuse me, on top of him, Tully just like runs in and hits a big standing elbow on him as well. So that was a very nice yeah. one too, I thought. I agree. It was excellent. We also earlier, I think we got Sweet Chin Music and Done Well on Arn Anderson by Shawn Michaels, which means we got the Spine Buster on Michaels at Survivor Series, and we got Sweet Chin Music on Arn Anderson at the Royal Rumble. That we do. It's only a matter of time before uh, Rockers and Brain Busters are having matches that we're calling. They had quite a feud going on, so we're definitely going to check out some of that as we go forward. Jesse says he's certain that uh, the Rockers have an advantage when they're both in because he's certain that they would not turn on each other. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's funny, like, where these matches happen have such a big effect on, like, whether they're part of the narrative or not. And you and I both know they had matches on uh, Saturday Night's Main Event, and we know those matches are great. But I don't think that's, like, known. Like, that's not in the consciousness so much um, for fans who haven't, like, watched Mm. closely in this era. So it just makes me wonder... If these guys had a match at WrestleMania, how different the conversation would be about, um, right? Yeah, about uh, their legacy in this time. And uh, I don't know, it's just funny because, like, the matches are not any better or worse for not being at WrestleMania, but it just, it would be a different conversation. It's one I would like to have with more people. Yeah, I would change history to have that because I think (laughs) it deserves to be there. And like you said, we're never going to get it there, but one match on a past WrestleMania could. Right, exactly, exactly. I mean, Brainbusters are going to wrestle Strike Force at WrestleMania, so I can't complain too much. Well, but still, like, there's a, a bigger conversation to be had. It's also a point, and this is this is going to be the weirdest praise that I'm going to keep giving Bret Hart until he takes off in the IC title and world title. But the way Shawn Michaels and Mr. Perfect are already like they got something natural and just like they're already so impressive that they steal the show. Whereas we're watching Bret Hart over like four years, like ant ant pace, you know. So like I think there are a lot of things that come naturally that are showy to guys like Perfect and Michaels. 
but Bret Hart like is assembling like these tools that he's gonna put together some of the best matches in the nineties, but it's never gonna be just like a flash or like, oh, I don't care if it's Bret Hart in the Hart Foundation or in this angle, it's all like the best you know, it's all it's not that. So it's again, I think when we when we get to Michaels versus Brett, another reason out of a million and like most of them are Michael's behavior, but another reason for them to eventually not like each other is they just don't have anything in common. Michael's has got the flash. Bret Hart took the long road, but Bret Hart's got the inside circle. Michael's was the outsider. Like there's a million things. And uh, the only time they really come together is when it's like, let's overthrow the big man era. And then a minute they do, then they're like, all right, now here we go. (laughs) Yeah. going to be quite a storied uh, conversation between them. That's for sure. Uh, so uh we continue this leg we have hogan coming in and uh he really cleans house he uh throws a lot of people out he uh eliminates the warlord in two seconds uh famously Mm -hmm. and uh but but the uh, story takes off on another level when savage and bad news brown are fighting against the ropes hogan goes to throw out bad news brown and uh, ends up tossing savage as well and was it a mistake or not we don't know. You can draw your own conclusions, but it definitely heightens the tension between these two in a major way. This is more unbelievable stuff because there is such a tension when they are in the ring because when will they help each other? When they both, I think, at times look at the other one in trouble and just like pass them by. I know that Hogan is up on the turnbuckle about to be dropped. And Randy Savage like looks at it square and then goes on about his business to something else. Mm. So, you know, the distance between them. But then it's it, like you said, it's just it's, it's a flash. Hulk Hogan dumps uh, Bad News Brown and Randy Savage. And if you want to know what Randy Savage really thinks, then just go by the fact that the, I think before I don't even know if he got eliminated from the rumble because before his feet even hit the floor, he was under the rope back in there in Hogan's face. <laughs> yes, he comes right back in. He is super pissed. He is in Hogan's face. Liz has to run out. She tries to keep them apart. Um, oh, man. That <laughs> was a commentary, too, because Monsoon is praising Hogan, of course, exclusively and uh, claiming him to be in the right. And Ventura Man, he nailed Hollywood Hogan so many years before because he says, oh, Hulk Hogan, he would beat up Liz if it meant coming out on top, which I think <laughs> may be literally a thing he does uh, later on down the line. So uh, Ventura has it called exactly right, of course, and uh, he, he sees the tension for what it is. Yeah, absolutely. And aside from the times that Hogan just kind of swipes Savage's physically his harm, like Elizabeth is predominantly chastising Randy Savage in this. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Randy and Savage, yet, yeah, go ahead. I was gonna, and yet it is Savage who puts out his hand for the handshake yeah. first, and it's Hogan who has to like think about it and do it. But ah, uh, oh, man, yeah, Savage even shakes his hand like multiple times, which again makes me wonder if he's being a little sarcastic yeah. at this point. Um. So I don't know, like that relationship is falling apart, but it does bring me in mind. I, I said last time I talked about Savage being in a romantic relationship. He knew it was falling apart. But what about like, think about a friendship you may have had and you yeah. know, it's falling apart and you know, you've grown apart and you know, you're not even really friends anymore. And yet it's hard 
to like finalize that to end it. Um, so there could be an element of that as well, as much as these guys don't like each other anymore. And I think that's clear. I think, uh, maybe there's an element of that as well going on here. Yeah. And it's almost like your best friends, your co-owners of a business, you have a reputation in town and you know, not only am I going to lose the friendship, I pretty much just have to give him the business at whatever price he says, because I got to move out of town because I lose everything. I lose the friends. I lose the relationships. I lose the business and he gains everything. No matter how it plays out, nobody cares. Right. You know, it's shock. This is the part that I was talking about. And it's the, it, it's authentic and it hurts, but like it blew my mind. That Hulk Hogan threw Randy Savage out of the Royal Rumble, and Randy Savage is going to be the one that offers the hand, and Hogan has to decide if it's even worth shaking or not. Mm, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and my mind was still not close enough to WrestleMania, brother. <laughs> <laughs> it's got to drag it out a little bit more, yeah, for sure. Oh, man, yeah, no, the tension of this really is incredible, and I have to give props to everyone just for how brilliantly executed this was um somebody was doing a wonderful job of putting these stories together i don't know if that's pat patterson or who somebody's doing a wonderful job yeah it, it's, it's hard to watch but uh randy savage hulk hogan has randy savage straight out of pocket like even if randy savage is like oh i'm being sarcastic like that that's your strong move is like two months in a row sarcasm why you do everything <laughs> that hogan pretty still tells you to do Oh, yeah. Savage has something. Uh, does he have something in mind? Is he still deciding? Yeah. I don't know. But, uh, but yeah, definitely not feeling the sincerity of these multiple handshakes. I th- we saw the true feelings of Randy Savage, as I said, on his sleeve when he first got thrown out. And this is maybe the closest we get to Randy Savage uh, being subtle. And uh, it, it's not too subtle still. Yeah. There was a YouTube cipher a hundred years ago by these YouTube rappers. And there was a line I never really understood till this angle. Uh, and I don't necessarily agree with it because I'd be insulting myself because I bite my tongue all the time. But the line is you got a problem, then bite your tongue. That's called a bitch where I'm from. <laughs> and we are now six months into Randy Savage biting his tongue. Like Hulk Hogan has Randy Savage, the macho man, the act first, think later, the, be in circles around the ring guy just consistently biting his tongue or being sarcastic or whatever else while hulk hogan's already proclaimed openly his feelings like i have never i think in the andre the giant hulk hogan thing i was trying to say off memory like oh this guy's a great politician this guy like he's got great rhetoric i'm now wondering like what are the other storylines in the history of wrestling where someone has come close to doing anybody like Hulk Hogan has done Randy Savage. (laughs) Uh, I'm sure there are some, but it's got to be up there. Yeah. It's, I don't know how Savage is, because I, you know, we'll get to it. That's why I like it. I haven't seen this stuff in so long because, you know, what do we have? I think when Liz goes down the Hulk Hogan stuff, like, is that an inciting incident? Like an in the moment thing? Or how much of this is, like you said, does Randy Savage have a plan? But it really feels like, I can't count this, like, I can't see Randy Savage going home two months in a row and saying, I didn't catch that sarcasm. Like, that's going to really come around to slap him in the face, you know? <laughs> yeah. Like, I think Hulk Hogan's straight winning this thing. Like, these are these are big boots and leg drops monthly. He doesn't even have to Hulk up for this shit. 
<laughs> and he likes hulking up. Yeah, he, okay. he's definitely winning the uh, mental, emotional war. And that was always going to be the case because Hogan's uh, emotional state is a fortress of cement. <laughs> like, you, know, you could drop a nuclear bomb on it and Hogan won't really be bothered by anything. You know, he invents things to be bothered about just for fun. Randy Savage, though, man, like, look at this guy. Like, you, if you walk by Liz's dressing room, he'll probably have an emotional freak out. So he was just never going to win this part no. of the war, like the emotional war. It's impossible. He couldn't be in a weaker state to be losing this part of the war. Yes. This is why, though, great storylines have to be connected to characters who are built out of the core of what they are because that's where you get like the two natures of it's a great storyline and when we dig when we take the shovel and we dig and we unearth we come down to deeper more authentic reasons why oh my god when you plot it out it happened that way but when you look at them as people it always probably was going to happen that way as well Oh, poor Randy Savage. And if you need if, if you need some hope or you need to believe in something, the one thing that hit me, the way that he is behaving, like how historical, almost supernatural is it that a man is going to come to the WWF in three years and he's going to have the name Sid Justice and the tagline Justice will be served and the ultimate karma on Hulk Hogan is going to happen at that Royal Rumble with a man called Sid Justice. <laughs> uh, it's not enough, though. It's a start, but it'll never be enough. But it's just funny because this is the exact playbook that he's running on Sid is this shit right here. Oh, sure. Absolutely. And it's amazing. Like I get why he's doing it, though, because... You know, what did Randy Savage like my only critique of Randy Savage in the relationship with Hulk Hogan is like it turned me off that he was saying Hulk Hogan Prince should win a tournament that he was still in. Like the only sin that Randy Savage has in my book is that he might have cared about Hulk Hogan and the mega powers and the baby face and the world title and the status and the moment too much. And Hulk Hogan still wiped him off the planet. Like I don't just want the belt. I don't want an ultimate war. That's another thing. Like, again, I've already knocked the Andre, all Andre did was ask for a match. But Hulk Hogan could have even had, like, let's have a babyface versus babyface match and find out who the better man is. And, yeah, Hogan probably would have won. And maybe some of the same things still would have happened. But Hulk Hogan didn't even have the decency to do that. Hulk Hogan wiped this man. Like, I want you and your credibility. You didn't do nothing to me except for you had the gall to stand in my place at a time where I didn't even want the spot. But now I want the spot, and I want to make sure that nobody ever thinks like it. might be one fan in the crowd who thinks, oh, I want to see Randy Savage be champion again. So I want to just destroy everything that you have and everything that you are, but nothing personal. You are my friend, and we share a manager. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there's a reason Savage is going to go off the deep end and become the Macho King and uh, go through all these years of um, antagonism. Man, I don't know if Randy Savage ever will recover mentally from all this, you no. know. He's never going to even come back to the babyface side until Hogan is basically uh, gone, until he's basically not around anymore. So, And then to say nothing of WCW and how clearly mentally like ravaged he is in his relationship with Hogan there, so... Yeah, I, 
and this is not even just in terms of character anymore. I think even Randy Savage, the person, is never going to fully come out of this feud. Like, he will be different forever because yeah. of this feud, because of this time in his life. I agree with that. And, you know, <sighs> there's something very real about this in a way that, like, their relationship, I think, outside of the ring is the same as this in that Hulk Hogan... Does Hulk Hogan care? I think in the ways that Hulk Hogan can care, I think he does care. I think Randy Savage is the one who cares too much. Because, like, Randy Savage, the best we can understand, um, Hulk Hogan has claimed this. I think Lonnie Poffo Poffo confirmed this, so, like, you can choose to believe it or not. But, you know, it's Randy Savage, I think, who will choose to cut Hulk Hogan off for, like, a long time, like, years and years, and won't even be in the locker room with him. And Hulk Hogan at least claims, Lonnie Poffo claims, that they were both in the same hospital towards the end of Savage's life, and Savage just comes up on him from behind and gives him a hug, and they have a bit of a conversation. And if you want to say that's true, like, to me, it rings almost true in a way that is almost as sad. Like, it feels like everything I'm watching right now, mm-hmm. that Randy Savage wants Hulk Hogan to be his friend, so desperately, but be a little bit less Hulk Hogan and actually be his friend. Like, I think Savage is a man, like, he's overprotective, he's insecure, he's all these things, but he values, like, a small circle and a reality, and Hulk Hogan is just, like, you draw a line in the dirt, and he's just going to kick dirt over it just for the hell of it. And so, yeah, like, the rest of their lives is is no different than the storyline that we're talking about. I'm going to say something and maybe it'll be too sad and maybe it won't be right but i don't know i'm just i'm thinking of it in this moment um randy savage you know the character I, like in uh 85 86 87 whatever you know we, we talked to he shines so brightly you know he's so on all of the time and you know he's angry and he's jealous and you know he's got all these things going on and for a guy like that who is never at peace who is always like on fire as it were he looks across the aisle and he sees Hulk Hogan, who apparently couldn't be happier in his life, like no matter what happens to him. Like he's this shining, virtuous pillar. He's got it all figured out. He's got it all put together. You know, he, he is at peace. There's no way Hulk Hogan is not at peace. Like nothing can really shake this guy. So if you're Randy Savage and you have all these like insecurities and anger and all of this stuff and like your brain is on fire all of the time, how much must you want on some level to cross that aisle to connect with the person who is at peace, who has it all together, who has it all figured out and to try to become like that guy. And what I see is Randy Savage. He makes his best effort and it makes no difference. He's still Randy Savage. He's still himself. He's still insecure. He's still jealous. His brain is still on fire all of the time. And he just, he can't become like Hulk Hogan, and I think it makes it all fall apart in the end, and it drives Savage to this place where he never stops trying to be Randy Savage again, even when it becomes ultimately destructive. He's a guy who just, uh, he can't make that leap. It's not who he is. Oh, man. I, like that, like you said, we can't prove these things, but emotional truth, I concur 100% with every word of what you just said. And it's, it's what hurts so much is that there are definitely times you can say Hulk Hogan's being the bad person in this, 
But there's also this truth that Hulk Hogan is always Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage is always Randy Savage. And I I think one thing about becoming an adult is unless it's work related, you can kind of maybe start to become what you are, whether you like it or not. But like you you had me thinking back when I was in college, I am an I am an introvert. I am a highly sensitive person, which means I am overstimulated. Like I can go to a bar, I cannot go to a club. You take me to a club with like thumping music and all that shit and I will have a breakdown. And especially when I was young and I was maybe lonely, you know, and you're looking at a crowd and like you can't engage anybody like that was the the worst space in the world you could put me in. And so one year in undergrad, I had a roommate who I actually liked. We were so different. Like he could go to places like that and have the time of his life, but he knew I couldn't. Yet we could go to Barnes and Noble, for example, and sit down with two different books and like have this deep conversation. And, and we're always were about self-improvement. And like, when I moved away, I eventually came back and like, he knew I couldn't do these places. And so I went and stayed with him for one day. And guess where he takes me? Takes me to a place like that. And like, I just can't function. I can't find anybody that I came with. Like, I am lost. And I eventually just go back to his place by myself. And then they all come there. There's people pissing like on the floor because they're so drunk. And I ended up just leaving. And I don't know if we've ever talked again since then. Like, I was just done because, like, the one thing I asked him not to do, and, like, I could just as easily say, what an asshole that he would do that. But I, honest to God, think that his opinion was, I'm going to get him out there, and this time it's going to open him up, and he's going to have the time of his life. I might even help him find somebody, and, like, I'm going to do all this stuff for him. But I was always going to be me, and he was always going to be him. And I made the mistake. The only mistake I made was trusting that I thought he had an understanding of how far I could or couldn't go. And there were certain lines he wouldn't cross. And I think that's the same thing. Like, I don't think Hulk Hogan ever ceased being Hulk Hogan. I don't think Randy Savage ever ceased being Randy Savage. But I do think there were some things that Randy Savage thought because of the tag team, because of the friendship, like the relationship with Elizabeth might be sacred. My being world champion while I'm world champion might be sacred. You still get the Hulkamaniacs. You really still get the top bill in the company as a team. But like we know each other, trust each other. We're a tag team. I'm wearing the brand even when you're not. So there's at least some things that are sacred and there just weren't. Yeah. And just all that. And that's a, that's a stupendous story, by the way, all of that. And even more like, I really think Randy Savage, like, Hogan, you, you teach me how to be more like you, you know, yeah. teach me how to never be bothered by anything, teach me how to uh, not be insecure, to be just, like, impossibly secure all the time in my life, and Hogan couldn't teach him, because either you can't teach that, or Savage is just a guy who can't really learn that, even if he wants to, I don't know, um, but I love what you said, like, there are lines that maybe you even want to cross them, but you just can't because of who you are, because of how you're wired. And it's tough yeah. to confront that. And it's tough to confront that gap you have between yourself and other people. It is. When you watch someone go somewhere, you can't go like that doesn't compute. Like we were just together. We're bonded. We're friends. Like how can they go places? I can't. Mm-hmm. And and weirdly, I'm not going to give Hulk Hogan this credit because he does not deserve it. But like if he wanted to give like a crash course on how not to be insecure, like maybe this is like the the ultimate like uh, crash course. Like what would happen, brother, if like, you know, you, you had a best friend who just like took your whole world from you? It could, you know, hey, you know, there's a test for you. There's a way to find out. <laughs> that 
that was his version of uh, taking Savage to the club. He's like, well, this maybe this will open you up, and uh, yeah. you know, you'll you'll realize after this that it's not such a big deal. But the opposite effect, unfortunately. So, um, I'm now so interested in like how is Savage going to behave as a heel? But then we know, and this is the power of Hulkamania, though, because Hulk Hogan is going to take your reputation. He's going to take your manager. He's going to take your babyface status. He's going to take your world title. But then, eventually, way down the road when you're through trying to get revenge, Ultimate Warrior is going to retire you. But you wouldn't have been on that path and led to retirement had Hulk Hogan. Like, Hulk Hogan's still partly retiring you because you're still, like, in that world that Hulk Hogan created. Right. You know, so I think one thing I'm interested in seeing now is before we get reinstate the Macho Man, when he – what is he going to look like retired? Like, is he going to be antsy probably eventually? But will there be any peace there? Like, is he going to learn anything from this? Is it going to be any different? You know, I really don't know. But Savage is getting set. I think Savage has one of the greatest trajectories and courses of anybody in wrestling history. Sure, absolutely. I think we can already answer that a little bit because look at what happens after the moment after he is retired, the moment where he has nothing more to prove and he is finally able to just unclench his fists around mm. all this anger and fear that he's been holding on to. You know, he, he's able to reunite at that moment and not a moment before with Miss Elizabeth and uh, he's able to regain, you know, that, that position that he had so tenuously, so briefly, where he was kind of at peace. Um, you know, so there's there's something there for sure. Yeah, it's 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 every point. This is this is why. Oh God, this is a hard thing. If if you're blessed enough to live a few decades, you start to learn that in your in the course of one life, you both have these kind of revelations and grand changes, and you also never really change at all. Mm. You know, because like I'm thinking about this. Like I agree with everything you just said. Like. He is going to be with Liz. It's going to be iconic. It's going to be beautiful. It's going to be peaceful. It's going to be reunion. It's going to be great, great story. And they're going to end up divorced. He's going to end up retired and maybe at peace and a chance. Really, I think the way Vince McMahon felt about Savage, maybe Savage could have been top two or three, like booking, creating. Not only is he going to leave the company, guess who he's going to follow? Mm. Hulk Hogan. You know, so these moments of peace where you really do change. And these moments of restlessness where you never actually could all can happen within a single person, within a single lifetime. God, this is what I was talking about. When we started doing this series and I said, I'm doing it for Randy Savage. And he's always been good, but it hasn't been. This is what I was talking about right here. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, it just keeps opening up deeper and deeper and deeper and uh, reinforcing why Randy Savage is one of the greatest characters in wrestling history. Yeah, and I, the last thing I will say about this is the, just the sad reality of life. Um, whether Savage and Hogan are getting ready to explode or whether they legit shook hands, like if you want to know how important you are or not, sometimes it just takes like the the natural structure of life. So it's like, all right, brother, I'm going to shake your hand, I, and maybe we're coming back together. Oh, but look, it's the 10 count, and I did throw you over the top rope, so get the hell out of the ring I'm staying in because I'm still in the match, you know. So there's just like this reality that no matter what they are planning or thinking or being authentic or not, the reality of it cause crashes down and shows us they're going their separate ways. And Savage, you got 10 seconds, but then get the hell out of here. Oh, man. And we are not like 
in a moment, we will compare and contrast Hogan's elimination when he is eliminated mm. uh, and his reaction to that. So we're getting right up on that. We, we need to return to the Rumble uh, or we might yeah. run out of time. But, yeah, no, you are right about that. Um, so, yes, uh, the 10 count counts down. Savage has to get the hell out of the ring, as you say. Next entrant is Big Boss Man, and I got to say, the crowd, you know, they're still kind of, like, rolling from that Savage elimination, but, like, they amp up even another level for this, and this is another sign that Hogan versus Boss Man is low-key one of the most successful feuds that the WWF ever did. I think it's going to break records on the, the house show circuit, so that tells you a lot right there. What a rich and prosperous company that you can jump from. Oh, well, we just had Hogan Savage, and then we're like a bigger response for Hogan Boss Man. And the beauty of we had Hogan and Andre the Giant, WrestleMania 3 and WrestleMania 4, in this rumble together, and they didn't even share a ring, and it hurt nothing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You have enough big stars, big stories that you could space it out, and uh, yeah, like you said, really lose nothing from all of this, so... Oh, man. Uh, Hogan actually uh, kind of ends up getting beaten up a lot here. I was a little surprised. Yeah. Uh, Monsoon, who is really, he's, he's, he's off the uh, reservation tonight, <laughs> he claims this is because, oh, of course, Hogan's been out there for half an hour. Ventura is disgusted by this comment and says it's yeah. about five minutes. I looked it up, and he was out there for about eight minutes, so points to Ventura for being far closer to the truth than Monsoon was. Points to you two for looking it up because that was a great moment. And in my mind, because of the company we're in, I figured he'd probably be halfway between both of their statements. <laughs> uh, so uh, Akeem comes out directly next. So it's Hogan versus both of the Twin Towers. And this this is a moment. This is a difference between Hogan, I think, a couple years later and now. Because I think uh, a couple years yes. later he would have thrown both of them out and just won the Rumble anyway. But here... Akeem and Bossman actually work together, and they eliminate Hogan pretty much legitimately. There's not, like, yeah. any uh, cheating or anything going on here. And Hulk fucking Hogan, who this this is a move he will use again in three years. After he is eliminated, he reaches back in, and he drags the big boss man out of the ring to eliminate him. And then he starts beating him up with weapons that he found at ringside. So I don't want to hear any of this. Hogan's like, oh, well, they just booked me to eliminate Sid that way because they wanted me to look bad. No, this is your move because you did Good it before point. in the first Rumble you were ever in. So, Good point. Oh, my God. <laughs> Great point. Yeah, excellent point. Honest oh, point. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't think about that, but spot on. <laughs> oh, it's really unbelievable. Yeah, so he gets out boss, man. He tells the referee... I'm going back in. Yeah. Like, he literally is like, I don't care. Break the rules for me. I'm going to go in and win this match anyway. Oh, he's so insufferable. And Monsoon, like, he really, he's like, he just says, oh, so what? You know, like, he, Monsoon's ready to let him go back in. He's ready to let him do anything he wants. So, oh, man, what a scene. Only, only in this time could you have a scene quite like this. Yeah. And this is more respect, though, to Hulk Hogan, because I... The Luger Hogan first Nitro promo is one of my favorite things in the world, but there's that truth that when they go to a commercial, Lex Luger smirked and Hogan pretty much sells and to wipe the smirk out of his face or I'll do it for you because you, you know, he lets him know you never break character. In the back, I think Luger apologizes the next week and Hogan pretty much just lets him know, you know, that's my money out there. That's our money and I'm, you know, don't play with, you know, don't make a game out of it. Always stay in character. And 
hearing like the camera pick up on Hulk Hogan just like saying, matter of fact, like I'm going back in there to the referee. There's something. Those are those moments that are just so authentic and real. Like, oh, if it's fake, like why do they have? Like, why is he telling the referee that? Why do they have? You know, it's just right. like Hogan is always, if nothing else, he's on, and he and he behaves how he behaves. So you know, he's gonna throw the he's gonna pull the boss man out. Yeah, if anything, like maybe I, I, would, I would think maybe that he would respect Savage less weirdly, probably for shaking his hand. <laughs> yeah, Savage should have run back in and eliminated him, I guess, by Hogan's yeah. logic, for God's sakes. It's it's unbelievable because Randy Savage, we did all this talk, all this talk, all this conversation, and yet he handled his elimination with like a thousand times more grace than yeah. Hulk Hogan did, and he was far more like the better sport, the better babyface about it hulk hogan is the bad loser he's the insufferable guy who won't follow the rules who will be petty who will get revenge on someone who at least in this match did no wrong to him did nothing yeah. uh, illegal or even shady oh hogan you insufferable jerk yeah well also which side do the fans in history uh honor more often than not i think it might be the hulk hogan approach <laughs> i yeah i suppose you're right even so, like, there's something, like, Steve Austin wouldn't have done this, you know, maybe in, like, 96, 97, you know, before the turn or whatever, but, like, Steve Austin, you have to, like, for lack of a better term, like, be a man, like, accept the outcome when it's fair. It's I agree. If it's not fair, so I don't know. I don't like I'm not popping for it. Like, to me. Sure, Especially if I'm watching at the time, like right right now, I don't halfway care because I like both feuds. But and it's in the past. But like, if I'm watching the fucking Royal Rumble in real time, like this is Hulk Hogan is a million times better than the times I didn't like him. But I would dislike him in that moment as much as then because I fucking hate that behavior. Like you know, but it's it's the thing that Jake Roberts comes back with the snake and eliminates Andre Hacksaw wins with a uh, two by four. Like who who's the be- like the the really over baby face? that goes out gracefully. Randy Savage goes out gracefully. He's also like, like the fans are turning on him. Like he's fading out of babyface territory. Right. Yeah. It's sad, yeah. but like, I don't like it though. It doesn't do it for me. I know that much. It's a fair point. I'd say to me, the difference is Jake Roberts, like we've talked about this so many times. It's almost not worth saying, but Jake Roberts never came out and claimed to be like the good guy. He's like, I'm the freaky snake guy. You know, I'm going to do freaky snake things. So, like, he's being true to what he's saying. It's guys like Duggan, it's guys like Hogan who are like, truth, justice, America, you know, virtue, righteousness, and then and then they're the ones, like, doing worse than anybody. So that's, uh, that's what really gets me. Oh, man. Yeah. That's a fair statement. Uh, this so blows my mind that yeah. we've now eliminated Hogan, Andre, Bossman, <laughs> Savage, you know, and we're going to go with, like, Barbarian, Terry Taylor, uh, Big John <laughs> Studd, and, and the rest. Yeah, it's the, like that. That's just what I was gonna call this last leg of the rumble. It's like and the rest, um, yeah. you know. Uh, but you know, I I like the last part of the rumble too. Honestly, I you too. know, I, I think it's good. Somebody, I think uh, Ryan Evans. So shout out to you if you're listening. Made a comment to me um, on Twitter. It's like didn't like the rumble because uh, you know I felt like there were no stakes and it's just people like standing and they're kicking and punching and like pushing in the corner and I'm like. Okay, sure, like, if that's what you think, that's what you think. I'm not going to tell you you're wrong. But to me, like, I already talked about I don't mind if there's no stakes. I think it actually adds something interesting to it. And, man, just, like, all the little things that happen in the ring, all the little character moments, all the things that they have to react to, 
Like, I love that stuff. I love Battle Royals. I love Royal Rumbles. I love stuff like that. That does not bother me at all. I, I really enjoy this whole Rumble and uh, this finishing stretch here as well. This is a top-notch Royal Rumble for me. Agree. Yeah, totally. But, you know, I, all I really want, like, to me, this is a character and story-driven Royal Rumble, and that's what I'm after, you know, so. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Like, you, you can you can put almost anything, and I, I don't know. I still want my wrestling matches. I definitely don't agree with Vince Russo and McMahon getting rid of the ring, but you could damn near do anything in the ring for me as long as it's coming from something that I enjoy that is core character and core story and makes sense and makes sense with everything that's going on. Absolutely so, yeah. Um, <laughs> we always have to like walk around that comment because, yeah, there are just so many things you can do with wrestling that work. And uh, yeah. to me, yeah, this is a great example. So um, we get down to the end. Uh, we've got to highlight Rick Martel. He is back. He's been yes. gone for a while. He's at 29, and he is looking awesome. I love Rick Martel. Uh, Ted DiBiase at number 30, which he bought um, we got mm-hmm. Hercules in there, and yeah, we got Hercules and Ted DiBiase going at it, having some great stuff, loving that feud. Ted does throw Hercules out, and uh, he goes out with Beefcake, so at least we have Beefcake out of there. And don't think it was lost on me that it was friggin' Beefcake that came down to, like, help Hulk Hogan while he was doing his, like, petty revenge thing after he got eliminated. Yes, <laughs> I was going to say that, but the, but the conversation moved on is that Hulk Hogan can screw Randy Savage in plain sight, and there's always going to be somebody else next in line to take that role. <laughs> oh, beefcake. My God. Oh, you dirty man. <laughs> so dirty. Um, we get our final four, which is Martel, DiBiase, Stud, and Akeem, and man, I wish one of those first two names had won it at this point. Yes. Uh, How this doesn't come down to DiBiase and Hercules, whoever wins it blows my mind. It really could have easily. I I almost don't know why they didn't go that way. I don't know what they were going to do with Stud. I don't know what they thought they could do because it's going to be pretty much nothing. But um, Martel goes out, so we get Stud versus uh, Akeem and DiBiase. Stud boots Akeem out. He's alone with Ted. Ted tries to uh, buy Stud off in a nice moment that I appreciated. But alas, it is for nothing. Because Stud gets the win, and uh, Virgil runs it as well, and Stud tosses him out as well. So I don't really know what they were thinking at the end here. Still, this is a great rumble. I really appreciated it. Yeah. Life is getting busier, so I haven't had a chance. But I do think whether it was, like, internal politics or it was Stud not being way I think uh, something happened, you know, to turn them from whatever idea they had on this night. I, I think what happened is they saw what shape Stud was in because he is yeah. not uh, in great shape. It's, Stud was never, like, a great big man anyway. Like, I like Stud fine. He's okay. Did the body slam challenge. It was fun. He's not horrible. But even at his peak, like, he was no Andre. He was no Bundy. He was no uh, a lot of these big guys that we've seen. I might put him uh, slightly above one-man gang, you know, and that's, that's yeah. a pretty low bar, so... He's very plain. Like, I have nothing against him, but I, I don't have anything for him either, so, you know. Right. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I don't, and plus, like, he couldn't get it. I, I don't think his pants or his trunks or his tights or whatever. I don't think they fit him anymore. So, <laughs> you know, it blows my mind that Vincent Mann can be such an asshole that, like, Diesel can be world champion for one year because his body looks the most similar off steroids than anyone else. But he can't say, like... Oh, Big John Stud, your 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 pants don't fit, so I'm just gonna let uh, Hercules and Ted DiBiase finish this one. 
You know, if you're gonna be that guy, be it, be it when it counts. Yeah, I don't know. I don't usually listen to uh, to shoots or anything, but if anyone out there knows, like the narrative for why he won, if there's some Bruce Pritchard um, pile of baloney that tries to explain it, I, I'd be open to hearing about it at least because it is sort of a strange moment in history at this point. It is, man. I just maybe they don't want to be the NWA, but man, there, there's Lex Luger, Ric Flair. Uh, potential in what DiBiase is like the very move they could just borrow the move set and have DiBiase and Hercules finish that rumble with hip tosses and throws off the top rope and military presses and begging off and blows downstairs and then mm. you know I guess Hercules puts him in the rack and then somehow falls over the top rope if that's gonna we're gonna go down that line but you know <laughs> of course yes just like that I can picture it now oh wow yeah Oh, boy. All right. So that wraps up the Royal Rumble. Next time we have uh, the second episode of the main event, the NBC special. It's going to have uh, the Mega Powers taking on the Twin Towers two-on-two. Two. And if you know anything about that, that that's really going to be a very important step building to WrestleMania. And we also do have Ted DiBiase taking on Hercules one-on-one. So two-match card. We're definitely going to find some bonus material, but I think just even with these two, we're going to have a lot to talk about. Absolutely. This is this is almost what I thought we got with the Mega Powers. It's like maybe two to three stops, including this one. But instead, we got like ten of them, and they're all equally powerful. And now we haven't even gotten to the only point that I kind of remembered, which is the one coming up. So this is just top-shelf storytelling for all of history. And, you know, I never thought it was going to wind down. Like We stayed in 88 for a long time, but we can officially say... Uh, we're about to be on the slide, the slide down or the slide into WrestleMania. Hulk Hogan's about to give the uh, close enough to WrestleMania, brother. <laughs> <laughs> He's going to give the sign, yeah, for sure. Uh, so that will be uh, February 3rd, 1989, my first birthday, exactly. Nice. On. Yep, so I'll be one years old. Not old enough to appreciate this all yet. Oh, yeah, no, it's going to be good stuff. Uh, I'm excited to see what bonus stuff I can dig up because there should be some fun stuff around this time. Yeah. It's also still two months out of WrestleMania, so even with all the shenanigans to come, like Savage has still got to deal with this stuff for another two months after that. Absolutely, and I just remembered something I absolutely will include on this show, something from Primetime Wrestling, and it is one of my favorite things of this entire era, so I am very, very, very excited now to come to the next show. Yeah, I think most folks that listen to this show know it, but you did one of the most amazing like uh, running uh, columns series on Bobby Heenan and really dug into all of this. And if folks don't realize it, when we get this bonus stuff and we're benefiting from it, it's from work that you've already done before this show that probably otherwise would make it a lot more difficult for this stuff to come together so well. Thank you for that. I'm very curious when we get past 93, because then I will not. Uh, I will be in very unfamiliar territory, so that'll be interesting. Right now, yes, this is stuff I've already dug deeply into. Um, I've been stuck. The last one I put out was the Royal Rumble 92, and that was such a great mm. column. I put it out a long time ago. I keep wanting to write more, but life is just too crazy, so yeah. maybe someday, because um, 92 is a great year for Heenan, but... Uh, <sighs> All right. I think that's everything we got. Anything else you want to talk about before we call it a day here? Nah, this is a great rumble. Uh, I think it's a it's a good kind of standalone in a way uh, before we get back into just the chaotic nature of moving to WrestleMania 5. Absolutely so. 
All right. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Um, We're on Twitter. I'm on Twitter, actually. I'm at Spectral Gent. Give me a shout. Give me a follow. Also, check out the great conversation on www.lopforums.com. Type that whole URL to uh, join the conversation or navigate there through our main page, wrestlingheadlines.com. So much good written material. Also, check out the other programs on LOP Radio. Got a lot of really great ones there as well. That is everything we've got. We'll be back next time with more of 1989, more of the Mega Powers exploding. It's going to be very fun. Until then, Mystic, take us home. Until next time, don't let the legacy be dictated to you. Rewatch, rewatch, rewrite, revisit, rewatch. Yeah.